Astonishing Legends would like to thank The Great Courses Plus, Squarespace, Blue Apron, Bombas, and our contributors at Patreon for making tonight's show possible. Halloween has come and gone, friends, but we have so much more to share about the Sally House. So for Astonishing Legends, the spooky season lingers on. The stories surrounding the house and now enveloping us are so filled with details and information that we've decided to take this series to four parts. Tonight, as promised, we will be analyzing not only the now infamous File 10 from our digital recorder, the most bone-chilling EVP we've ever heard, but also the other recordings we gathered on that day. Additionally, we will share the results of a forensic analysis of all the recordings we captured, conducted by one of the premier forensic audiologists in the country, Ed Primo. We'll listen to what happens to these files when you apply filters to them that reveal what sounds even more like a conversation of some kind, happening beneath the screaming you've all heard. Then we'll discuss where this incident and investigation has taken us personally, and what conclusions we've drawn so far about the EVPs, knowing full well that any assessment of what's going on with them may be forever trapped in the realm of hypothetical conjecture and any conclusions one might make will have to be a personal decision. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. I originally thought that it was a transducer overload, which translates into loud volume being recorded by a microphone that couldn't handle it. Based on my experience, that's how that sound would be created. I could not get the recorder to reproduce that type of a sound. Ed Primo of Primo Forensics on his first call to us after he received our recorder. Welcome to part three of our series on the Sally House of Atchison, Kansas. And we're back. Hey, folks, I'm not sure where to start here tonight, but I did want to acknowledge the outpouring of support that came into us from every possible channel after hearing last week's episode. When we decided to share the story from my personal perspective, I really had no idea what people were going to say, especially once they heard the recording itself, and I was ready for that. But what I was not ready for was the kindness that followed. So many people have been through so much more than just a dude getting a spooky recording in a haunted house. So needless to say, I wasn't fishing for all that, but it was greatly appreciated and it did help me feel a lot better. There were a few people who took the time to write in and call me some less than polite names for a coward. (laughs) Just a couple. (laughs) I'm not going to share those names here, but uh, what I will say to those people is call me back after you tell a story like that to a couple hundred thousand people. Unsurprisingly, in most cases, these folks contacted us anonymously, so there's a measure of their bravery. I stand by my story and my decision to tell it, and I'm glad I did because the amount of similar stories we're getting in our inbox now is staggering. It turns out I'm not the only person that something similar to this has happened to. It would seem these stories are out there, but people have been afraid to share them for fear of ridicule. I've got not one single regret about telling it on the show, and I'd do it again. It's the strangest thing to realize that there's a profound difference between not believing in this kind of stuff and then not only believing in it, but refusing to grant it control over you, and then exploring the idea of moving even further past that to get some kind of power against it or over it. As for the haters, I've been screamed at by some kind of entity that scratches people, starts spontaneous fires, and levitates furniture. At this point, you're like a gnat in my soup. Thank you again to all of the supporters. Now it's time for us to take this EVP apart. Yeah, well, tonight we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty on these recordings. 
As before, fair warning, we will be playing parts of File 10 in tonight's episode again, but it will be later in the show, and we'll give you a heads up before it starts so you can skip it if you want. We will not be playing the whole thing in its entirety again, but just segments as necessary to make points or see if you hear what we and other people have said they hear. We've got a bit of other strange stuff to listen to too, but we'll categorize all of it as more typical of what you hear when you hear an EVP, not the sustained onslaught of what you heard at the end of part two of the series. Okay, well, where do we begin? All right, I want to start out talking about File 10, because we kind of just cut it off and we left. You know, it was Halloween, so we were trying to... You don't, Roll, you don't have the big finale of the movie and then come back and try and explain what happened. Yeah. There's a couple things I want to make clear about it, because some people seem to have some questions about it. First of all, I want to be abundantly clear about how it was created. And what I'm going to explain here again, and we, we said this in earlier parts of the series, but I'm just going to make it clear again. We had been upstairs, all four of us in that room. And when I say all four of us, there were seven people in the house, actually. But when I say the four of us, I'm referring specifically to the inner Astonishing Legends team that was there, which was Forrest, me, Megan, our listener, and friend Megan, who helps us when we're on the road, and, of course, Tess Feifel, our head of research. So the four of us were in the room, and we had done a file there that we're going to talk about here just in a minute, just in a few minutes. We're going to tell you about that one, too, because it had some interesting stuff on it as well. But I didn't really hear anything when I first played that file back. And I was like, there's too many people upstairs. There's too much uh, right. contamination in terms of noise. And that's when I sent everyone downstairs. Everyone that was in the house that was upstairs, I sent them downstairs. And everybody went downstairs. Then I went into the nursery. I closed the door. And you heard my preamble, if you heard file 10, if you listen to it, where I say, look, if there's anything here that wants to leave a message, I'm going to leave this in here for five minutes. I'll be back. Uh, you can leave your message here if there's anything that you want to tell. I think I might have said the world, which I might have been a mistake. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, And then I put the recorder down, and I closed the door, and I went downstairs myself. And so we were all downstairs talking quietly. There was not any raucous conversation. And we know this because Forrest was filming this on our full-spectrum video camera that we mentioned in part two. I sat, and I was participated in the conversation a little bit, and then I watched my watch. I did not have my phone because my son had it out in the car because he would not come in the house. And I was watching for five minutes. I gave it exactly five minutes. Then I went back upstairs to collect the recorder. I don't think anybody was really paying attention to what I'd been doing either because it was just like, oh, here's another little experiment. Let's try this. It was towards the end of the tour. Yeah. So we were kind of wrapping that up. Right. Uh, Maria had already explained everything about the house there was to know. Yes. And so we were kind of mingling around and we still had a few minutes left. So we thought like, why don't we try this out and yes. see what we get? And I was still in the Pollyanna phase of my life. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> so, the was, happy days where you weren't uh, scared. I wasn't convinced crapless. anything like this actually maybe could manifest in this way. Sure. Anyway, so I went back up to get the recorder. I came back down and I press play on it. You guys have heard the file, those of you that chose to listen to it. But here's the part that I want to make clear. The recorder itself was in voice activation mode. That's something that's going to come up several times tonight. And what that means is it only recorded when it heard sound, when it actually measured noise pressure, which we learned about from one of our interview subjects tonight. I wasn't really sure what triggered that, but it's pressure, I guess, that triggers it to start recording. So when you hear file 10 and you're trying to make out what it's saying and how it's working, the important thing that you have to remember is that the DR60 the Panasonic, the digital recorder we used, is starting and stopping at random times based on where it hears sound. It does not have any kind of time code or reference track that allows us to be able to tell how continuous the sounds are that are going into it. The only thing we can say is, 
I left it in there for five minutes. No question. It was almost exactly five minutes. I was watching the second hand on my watch. And we know that it could have recorded for five minutes if something had been talking for five minutes, but it didn't. It recorded for more like a minute and 40 or 50 seconds, I think. I think it was 40 because I feel like I did a 10-second preamble. I'm leaving the room, blah, blah, blah. And then I did a few seconds after I came back in. So it's about a minute and a half, a little over a minute and a half. The track time represents total elapsed time. Right, total elapsed time. So the finished recording that we have is right around two minutes long. But it was in there for five minutes, and it could have recorded five minutes. So this is the thing to remember when you hear the EVP of File 10. You don't know when it's stopping and starting. Now, as a former editor, I'll just say on an instinct level, when I listened to it, I felt like it stopped and started about three times. I'm not being precise right now, but it seemed like it was fairly continuous, and then it took a break, Mm -hmm. and continuous again, and took a break, and then the last where it gets really crazy. To me, it was three sections, but for all we know, it was stopping between each vocalization. It's hard to say. The other thing that's interesting is that when I come back in the room, I knock on the door. So I do three knocks, and we cut that off because we're ending the show with file 10 for Halloween or whatever, and it was kind of uh, a letdown for me because I come back in just super nerdy. I'm like, thank you very much for (laughs) your recording because I didn't know what was on it yet. Please leave us alone. Yeah, we'll play that part tonight. You'll hear the end, the postlude of what I said. But the real question here, the first question I think about file 10, after you accept that we can't really tell when it's starting and stopping is, whether or not my knock interrupted it, and I don't really know. We talked to John Bolin about that, who was the person who digitized it for us first after he had an engineer who made a special cable for us so we could pull it into Pro Tools from a mono headphone jack. And I asked him when we were in the room with him if the knock was interrupting the sound. And I believe we thought that maybe it wasn't, but this is the hard thing to say. There's a whole bunch of reasons that maybe it's not important because whatever's in there, it clearly knows if I'm coming to the door, whether I knock or not. And by the way, it's not lost in me the stupidity of knocking on a door with a room full of ghosts. Hey, not at all. So just trying to be polite. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually goes back to ancient Asian tradition. Did you know that? No, I did not. Well, when you go to a temple in the Japanese, and I know in Korean tradition too, you go to the temple, you light your incense, you clap three times to get the attention of the spirits. Okay, well, I feel better about well, it. Well, that's like, we're coming back in. You don't know if they're dressed or not. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In all due respect, you give them the same respect as you would living people. And so when you come back into a closed room, it's, hey, we're back. Attention. We're announcing ourselves again. They're probably uh, omniscient in a way. They can maybe see, obviously, what we can't without eyes. Yeah. how they're seeing that. What we should do then is we'll play just the very end of File 10 here. And you see if you can tell if the knocking is interrupting the talking or mm-hmm. whatever the EVP is, or whether or not it's just the beginning of a new record, voice-activated record, or sound-activated record that the recorder's doing. Right. Be warned, we're about to play the tail end of File 10, and it, it can be a little jarring when the EVP first comes in. So here it comes. Not super long. Okay, there you go. What do you think? <laughs> uh, well, was the knocking its own separate voice activation file or did it interrupt? You know, I'm not really sure. We can look at it on the waveform. It's one of the many different ways we can go in terms of exploring this thing. It's just... Well, we don't know. There's a yeah. couple of things that I did think of. If there is interference of some kind, uh, yeah. radio frequency, you know, electromagnetic, whatever it is coming in, we're picking up radio signals. Wouldn't that also cover up our talking as well? 
it would be disrupting and distorting what we're saying as well. Right. Uh, rather than just being on its own and stopping when we go to talk. The other thing is a lot of people have sensed frustration and anger in the recordings. And I will say when Scott and I go to talk, it sounds like we're interrupting the other voices. Yes. <laughs> so I can understand how upset and frustrated they might be because uh, certainly we got plenty of comments well, about that in our early shows, interrupting <laughs> each other. Uh, and it's frustrating to the listener. But seriously, it's like when we start talking, we don't know, of course, when the sound is happening on the recorder. Yes. We go in there and, uh, you know, we're deaf to it. So these sounds... I mean, we weren't in the room for file 10, but we were for file nine, which right. we're going to talk about right coming up. And file 10, we weren't in the room, but we've heard these sounds before on the recorder, just in file nine, much shorter versions of them. And we were in the room and you cannot hear them there. And we fully believe, and this is based on not only our personal experience, but conversations that we've now had with other people who have gathered EVPs, including on the DR60. We firmly believe that even if you are in the room, you can't hear this sound. This is not a sound that's presenting itself to the microphone. Right. That's something to keep in mind on what it might be. Right. So when you hear it, you'll hear this sound. Scott will ask the question. We give it a pause. And again, we don't know when we're interrupting, but I think it was file eight or file nine. When this we first... is, well, file eight was the first file we started. And here's my description of file eight that I actually sent to our forensic audiologist expert, Ed Primo. I ask if there's anything in the room. I cannot remember who was in the room with me, but I think people were in there with me, but they were not speaking. And it's a very short file. And we didn't think anything was on it. We actually disregarded it when we sent it off for analysis. But it turns out we sent it also to some friends of ours who are both psychic, actually. And one of them picked something up at the end of the very first file we recorded in the room, which is file eight. So I'm going to play file eight for you right now. Then we're going to tell you what we hear, and we'll play it back again for you. And you can decide whether it's there or not. Don't worry, this one doesn't need a warning, okay? It's not going to freak you out like File 10 did. So here's File 8 from the recorder, also made in the nursery. If there's anyone or anything in here that would like to make itself known, please tell us who you are. Okay, so I didn't think anything was there, especially when you listen to it on that horrible little speaker. This, exactly. This from the DR60, this was taken from the line out, and that's what that humming is. It's the line out coming into a professional mixing facility mix bay right. that is run by our friend John Bolin, who does the opening announcements for the show. That's right. Yeah. John had pulled it in there, and when we sent it out to one of our two psychic friends, wrote back to us and said that she thought she heard a message towards the end of that very first question, which I disregarded. Well, we didn't really listen that carefully back again either. Right, after we with sent headphones, these yeah. exactly. So we're kind of doing it now in a way for the first time, seriously, with our headphones on in the studio. So in file eight, what we hear after my question is the phrase, she wrote that she heard either I'm not alive or I ain't alive. We heard it, and once she said that, Forrest and I both thought we heard... I ain't alive. Yeah. So I'm going to play that for you now. I'm going to do it a couple of times so you guys can see if you hear I ain't alive at the end of this file. If there's anyone or anything in here that would like to make itself known, please tell us who you are. All right, Forrest, so do an impression of where you think you're hearing it, because you're, you're pretty good at it. I ain't 
alarm. Yeah, and I right? heard it too. Yeah, I heard it too. But see, that's more classic, or say classic, standard EVP. Well, you know type they have noise. classes, and we don't know them. We're amateurs because I know there's no, the no, class one, class two, class three. Do you know Re- them? The no, I was joking. I meant classic. No, I know you did, but oh. what I'm saying is, for <laughs> right. people who are going to send us emails and be like, "Oh, oh that's oh. type this, type that," yeah, we don't know I, that. I do believe right the... Josh talks about class A, and I didn't stop him to ask him in his interview here that you're right. in this episode. I did not stop him to ask him the right. differences. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, I believe there's some classification system. Did we joke about a Hynek system for EVPs or yeah, something? Yeah, well, I that think was... there's already one not to joke about. I no, think no. there is one. Right, yeah. because people who take this seriously and, and collect data like this and evidence, you want a way to classify it so they're not all the same. So we yeah. did not really drill down into... The various I'm, classifications. All I'm saying is that usually when you, on the internet, if you're poking around, you want to hear an EVP, you Google it. Some ghost hunter will have some on their website. That's more in the line of dark roast. Dark roast. Yeah. Which you know is from our it's, Kent it, EVP one, which be, is what I thought an EVP was until File 10 came into my life. Uh, well, they, they all are. Yeah. As you'll hear from one of our guests, Josh Lewis, it takes energy to do this from the entity. And sometimes it's like people. Sometimes you have a lot of energy, you're animated, and sometimes you're whispering. If I had to guess what class A was, I bet that's the one that just sounds like another person in the room with you. Because we've heard those, by the way. Oh, there's some that are very clear. It doesn't sound like a whisper. I mean, it sounds like a low talking, but there's nothing breathy or ghosty about it. Well, and here's the other thing that's actually super scary, and we're getting corroboration on this from other fronts as well. There appears to be an ability for certain types of spirits or entities or whatever are doing these to emulate people that are actually in the room. Yeah. Where they'll play back a recording and one of the people in the party will say something really clearly, like, I'm cold, or I don't know about that, or Mm -hmm. laugh or something. And then they'll go and play it back and they'll find out the person who is supposedly saying was like, I never said that. Right. Or that person wasn't even in the room. They're in another part of the location. Yeah. That is happening. So... It gets into this whole thing, which it gets really bizarre, and we're, we'll talk about that in terms of filtration, too, because there's something very weird happened when we had our signal run through a program designed to try and recover dialogue from it. But that, again, yeah. there's so many different directions to go with this right now. All right, so let's talk about File 9. File 9 is the last recording we got before we made File 10, which was the one that we played at the end of the last episode, the Halloween episode. So I want to set the stage here for File 9. For File 9, we were in the nursery. It was our team. It was Forrest, Scott, Megan, and Tess. And we were all in there. And what we had done was, and Megan and Tess talked a little bit about this in their interviews for the last episode, what the circumstances were. So Forrest was in there with his camera. Tess was sitting on the floor with the toys, messing with the Raggedy Ann doll. Megan was sitting on the bed, and I was sitting on the bed next to her, and I had the recorder. And I started out by asking it a few questions, but then it occurred to me that I needed to set it down on the table to avoid handling noise, because the recorder is so bad, it's susceptible to any kind of noise. It turns out, actually, the noise is what helps. We're learning that. But there are recordings that have been made in noise-free environments with this recorder. It's another thing we're going to get to later in this episode. But right now, and I know I keep saying later in this episode, but we're we're having to touch on a lot of things, and we want to give each thing its due. So mm-hmm. we want people to know that we're we're getting there, especially for those people that like to email their questions before they've heard the whole show. Well, <laughs> 10 minutes in. Yeah, 10 minutes yeah. in. So I sat down on the bed and I, I started the questions and then I wound up putting the recorder on the very same table that it was on for file 10. But the difference was there were four of us in the room and I cannot remember if the door was open or closed, but there were other people upstairs. So that's something to understand. This was the file 
that gave me the idea that there's too much noise up here and too many people up here. So then I made the next file, which is the really pronounced one. This one we didn't think had a lot on it, but then when we went back to listen to it in comparison to file 10, it turned out it had some unusual stuff on it itself. I do want to warn you guys that this one does have some very similar characteristics to file 10. It's kind of loud, but it's not long and sustained like that. I think everybody's going to be able to take it, especially after hearing file 10. It doesn't feel as rageful as I've characterized file 10 as, and a lot of people right. have. I think you'll be able to handle it, but just be warned about it. And if your headphones are on, you might want to be watching your volume here. The other thing that's happening that Forrest and I have concluded is that we, and more him than me, kept interrupting it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it starts making these yeah. noises, and then we talk. And the noises are identical to the noises we got on file 10 when no one was in the room. So to be clear, there are four people in the room here, and you can say, oh, well, there's a bunch of people. The noise coming from the people. It's people in the hall. Let it. Right. You're, it's true. There were probably seven souls upstairs in the house that day yeah. and four in the nursery when we made these recordings. I'm pretty sure I closed the door, but I'm not positive. Well, what's interesting is that you'll hear blips of it, uh, yeah. bursts of it, even before when Tess goes to speak on the recording, you hear a Yeah. You'll hear a little, you'll hear a little blip of that. To me, if it was interference that was so powerful, it's ending up on the recording that we can't hear, then is there some kind of mechanism that's, you know, the voice activation or whatever it is that's shutting it off when we go to speak? It would seem to me there would be interference over the top of us as well speaking. Right. But what you hear is, yeah, so we don't we don't know that we're interrupting, but yeah, it's kind of comical because uh, this thing is like, I got something to say. Hold, yeah. Hold on. What? You know, and yeah. we're cutting it off. Is there anything in this room that would like to say hello or let us know that you are here. Okay. Is there anything in this room that would like to say hello or let us know that you are here? We are in the Sally House on July 20th of 2018 in Ashton, Kansas. For Scott, Megan, and Tess in the room from Astonishing Legends. I'd like to know if there's anything in here that would like to say hello, and if so, what is your name? Is there an entity here that knows any of us personally? Tell us your full name. Okay, one thing that's interesting about this is that this clears up an error that I had made. I thought that we made these recordings on July 
21st, mm-hmm. but in fact, we made them on the 20th, and that's going to be important later when you hear our interview with Josh. We thought it was the same day that something unusual happened with him and his recording. So actually wasn't. It was a day apart. It's still kind of significant to me for other reasons, which you'll find out when we get to his interview. But yeah, so we did this on July 20th. What that also means is that the panel, which we talked about in part two, the Earhart panel that we said we went to do after this, that actually was the next day. That was not this night. So we had 24 hours before we went to go do the Chasing Earhart panel. That's I think what the I reason, yeah, yeah, I think uh, Megan had remembered it as being the same day. And then I was like, oh, yeah, it was. And then we all just kind of accepted that. But we're trying to be as transparent as we can possibly be here. And that's why it's so good that we recorded everything because I recorded the date here. And now we know the day that we were in there. We can definitively say it was Friday, July 20th. And that on the 21st, we did the panel. And you'll see why that date's significant when you hear Josh's interview in tonight's episode. All right, so there's definitely a lot of things in that file, in file nine. There's more than I originally thought there were. I mean, we found out it had stuff in it, but then we were, file 10 was such the big Megilla that it overtook the initial part of this series. But file nine is significant too, because we're in the room, we're asking questions, we're repeatedly interrupting it, which is probably what made it so mad (laughs) for file 10. We think that we can hear things in there. We have some friends in the podcasting business. One of our friends, Tim Mullins, who is the, calls himself the sound guy over at Hillbilly Horror Stories, actually took these files into Audacity and was doing all kinds of stuff with them in there, slowing them down, playing them backwards, putting filtration on them. Right. And he did find some things that sound like words. And we're going to be linking those files up in the show notes for this episode, where you can go to our webpage and hear them if you want. But this can be a little bit of a slippery slope where you start to hear things or we tell you what we're hearing in it. That's a whole phenomenon in and of itself. I found this article way back when we did the EVPs at the KPW, the Kent Paranormal Weekend. Yes. And this explained a lot of what we're kind of dealing with here because this does have a lot to do with the Yanni or Laurel debate. Everybody remembers that. Some people heard Yanni in that kind of muddy clip. Some people hear Laurel. Yeah. And it depends upon what you're physically able to hear, because again, we hear with our brains, not with our ears, the way we see with our brains and not with our eyes. But this article has some interesting points, and it's not, of course, talking about EVPs, but for us, it kind of defines that slippery slope, as Scott said, that balancing point, that fine line that we have to walk between telling you what we hear or other people hear and you discerning it for yourself because that makes a difference. So there's some interesting points here to remember that I pulled from the article. And this article is called Yanni or Laurel, Why People Hear Different Things in That Viral Clip. And that's from Merritt Kennedy on the two-way from National Public Radio. And we'll have a link to that. There are a few quotes here from some experts and they apply here to this type of recording actually. So one is from Nina Krauss, a neurobiology professor at Northwestern University, who says, quote, It is not at all surprising to me that two different people will take a sound that is admittedly acoustically ambiguous and hear it differently. And that phrase, in this case, means that it's a very poor quality file. And that is crucial at explaining why people are hearing different things. So that's what we got. We have poor quality audio. It's missing information. And that's the nature of the recorder. It's adding noise. But that goes to uh, why it is, quote unquote, acoustically ambiguous. And in dealing with an audio clip of poor quality, Brad Story, who is a professor of speech, language, and hearing sciences at the University of Arizona, says the primary information that would be present in a high-quality recording 
or that is heard in person is weakened or attenuated with a poor recording. So what happens is that the brain is trying to make patterns of this and trying to interpret it as well, just, brains do. Right. And this is something that Ed Primo talked to us about. Again, you'll be hearing from him in tonight's episode, but he referred to something called psychoacoustics, which is related to this. And he'll be talking about that. But additionally, you can think of it almost as like an auditory version of pareidolia. Right. And so story goes on to say, and if you throw things off a little bit in terms of it being somewhat unnatural, like this recording is ours, quote, then it is possible to fool that perception system and our interpretation of it. And he goes on to say, so with a recording that's somewhat ambiguous and low quality, it's not surprising that some people may flip those when they're perceiving that word. And that's regarding Laurel or Yanni. It also makes a difference here, depending on what you're expecting to hear. Right. So that's the point I'm trying to make. When we tell you what we think it says, you're more likely then to hear those words. So that does alter the perception. It does alter the interpretation because that's how our brains are wired. That said, yeah. there's a message in here that I really want to tell people that I hear. <laughs> and, oh, no, <laughs> so there's... In file 10, the yeah. infamous file 10. And we're going to do that. But you have to understand that once we tell you that, you're going to hear it doesn't mean we're right. Right. But it might mean that you can't stop hearing what we said it was. Well, there's an important conclusion here I want to get to. A couple of things. One is if we say there's a phrase in there and you're expecting that, you're more likely to hear that phrase. Your biological ability to hear may not be in the range of being able to hear what we are hearing or other people are hearing. That's the point with Yanni or Laurel. Some people could not hear above a certain kilohertz uh, frequency, so they physically could not hear or their brains did not interpret one name or the other. And so my point here, though, is that, okay, so we don't really know what the words are. We don't really know what the meaning then is, or it's hard to interpret, and that's a personal thing depending on who's listening. But the point I want to make is that there are words. So some people are saying it's just electronic. You're just hearing static or noise. Other people are saying like, yeah, it's interference, it's static, it's noise, but it's coming from another broadcast somewhere. Which There's is why you hear words. Is, which is why you hear words. So there are different camps here. So what I believe, though, is that we can start, and a lot of us, most of us probably can agree, there seem to be words here, that this is speech. Even though it doesn't fit the cadence and the pattern of normal speech patterns or conversation coming over a radio station, especially with like DJs or something, or a, a commercial or anything like that, that's usual media, or even amateur radio. People don't talk like this, staccato-like. But I do believe what we are all hearing is words. So in conclusion to this little statement here, we do believe that words are being said. It's just that we can't all agree on what those words are. But sometimes when you hear them, and even if we point them out or you do it on your own, we believe there are discernible words in there and you can hear them. Just to set up what happened next, we were downstairs in the living room, milling about, getting ready to leave. We weren't really paying attention to what Scott was doing. But next thing we know, he bolts out the front door, like makes a beeline saying, I'm done. That's it. I don't want any part of this. And, uh, we didn't know what was going on. And then we calmed down and we figured out like, oh, it's the recording. It was track 10 that we all heard. So we went out to the backyard again. So we weren't out in the front yard. So Scott's son could see what was going on and get concerned. We took it out to the backyard. I continued filming and we played it in the backyard. And we all had our various reactions upon hearing it for the first time. I think Scott was serious. He's not going back in the house maybe through the house to get to the front door again. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. And never coming back, setting foot inside again. I want to take that recorder 
and with my video camera and go back up to the nursery. Because the first thing that I thought of was like, this is something. This isn't static. This isn't radio chatter. This isn't interference. My gut impression was that something was trying to give us a message. Something was talking to us, yelling at us, and that it was uh, serious. It was upset. So I just wanted to see if I could get that again, if there was more to the message. Or if it was an anomaly, would this anomaly happen on a second or third attempt? So Maria let me back inside the house, went up the stairs. I went back in the nursery, and I had the video camera rolling, I think this time. And I tried two more times. So tracks 11 and 12 are my feeble attempts at getting something to talk to me and into the recorder. And I believe I had the video camera rolling for that. Maria was sitting on the steps just waiting for me to, to do my business. I think I had the door closed too, just for noise to make sure that we weren't picking up any extraneous outside ambient noise. And so I just kind of did the same thing. I said, uh, you know, track 11, hey, is there anything that wants to speak with us? It was a little garbled last time. Please speak clearly into the recorder. And I didn't get such great results, or at least I didn't think I did. To clarify here, the recorder in this case was on full-time record, not voice activation. I made the mistake. Scott just <laughs> gave me the recorder. It's like, um, and I never used it really before, but I knew there was a record and a, a start and a stop and uh, could control the volume and input level. But it turned out to be actually interesting because then I had it in two different modes. The first time around, I didn't realize it was on continuous record. Right, file 11. Right. So that's me asking the question, and then it's just on recording for the entire time until I turned it off again. Then I figured out what I was doing, like, oh, geez, you know, usually we have this on uh, voice activation record. So then file 12 is me doing that, which that's why it sounds truncated. So those are my two uh, not quite as successful attempts at getting an EVP, or so I thought, because I didn't really listen to it. I just thought, again, listening to it over the speaker, so the little tiny one that comes on the recorder, that I didn't get much of anything. It just maybe a couple of pops and clicks of static. Right. But when we listened to it later with headphones, actually, again, we sent it out to uh, these two medium friends of ours who listened to it and said, I think you got something here and told us what that was. And when you go back and you listen to it carefully, and again, I admit I not really did that with headphones carefully, not so much because I didn't want to hear it because I didn't think there was anything on it. So I just didn't really bother with it. And then once you do, and you listen carefully with the volume turned up, you can hear a little something. Here's the thing about this. And I think it's something that you and I both learned since we got these recordings and are starting to get into all this is learning what to listen for. Right. Because when you don't recognize that you're not listening for normal vocalizations, you kind of slough over stuff that might have been something. And what's interesting about this, and this is just a short little thing, and some of you folks are going to be, I don't hear it. I don't hear anything. But again, going back to what we said a minute ago about once we tell you what we heard, you're going to hear it. So first, here's what we'll do. We're going to play it, this little piece of 11. It's a long file, and there's only one vocalization in it that we heard, and it's also kind of right when Forrest is messing with the recorder. So it's hard to know because you're actually handling, you're holding it. It's not sitting on something. Right, right. And it's making noise, but some people will tell you that that noise helps things happen. So. Well, we've seen a lot of guys who do a lot of ghost hunting, and they just hold it with yeah. their hand. Yeah. Now, they may have newer versions of this recorder that aren't loosened up over time and, and use. Ours is pretty beat up. Yeah. It's pretty worn. But again, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's why it works so well. So first, just listen to this surprise, a very short little bit about Forrest setting up file 11. File 11 is a couple minutes long, so we're not going to play it here. We'll link to it. You guys can listen to it if you want. But we're just going to play this part where we thought we heard something. And recording track 11. 
light is on. And it's recording. Okay. So now we're going to just play just the part where we think we hear something. We're playing it clean for you before we tell you what we think we hear. So we're going to play it three times in a row. This is your last chance to listen to it without our input and see if you hear anything and if you can figure out what it is. And it's recording. And it's recording. Okay, so that's probably the clip where people are laughing at us, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell laughing you something. At me. Yeah. yeah. After our medium friend told us what she thought was on there, of course I'm hearing it. And just to the point that we just made a few minutes ago. But the other thing is, we were hearing it once. It's a very low bar for comprehensibility here on this particular one, yeah. but we were hearing it once. But then once I heard it the first time, I actually am hearing it several times. And then there's another mitigating factor for me that freaks me out the most. Yeah. And that is in the clearest part of the time where you can hear it. And the other ones are so subtle. I feel like no one's going to hear it but me. And I'm listening to it on a $400 pair of headphones right, right now. Right. So if you're in a car or you've got cheap little ear pods in, I don't know if you're even going to hear what yeah. we're hearing here. But the last thing not only sounds like the phrase we're about to tell you that we're hearing and that it's being whispered, but it feels like, to me, it's being whispered by me. Mm. Like I'm in the room whispering it to you. It's my voice, except that the catch is I'm out in the backyard, so (laughs) I don't know what it is. But here's, here's what we think it is and what our medium friend thinks it is. She thought that it was, what's he got there? Or what's he got there? Yeah. The thing is, it's right when force is shifting the player a little bit. So there's a little bit of, you'll hear that kind of handling noise. And I can't hear the what's super clearly, but I do hear the got there. Yeah, and it sounds that's, to me like me saying got there. That's interesting. So she thinks yeah. it's what's he got there. Now, the other thing that I'm hearing personally, and I don't think know if anyone's going to hear this, but me and maybe my mind is making it up. It's the auditory pareidolia. It's mm-hmm. psychoacoustics. It's an hallucination. But I feel like I can hear it a couple of times, much lower and much fainter before it comes out, like there's multiple voices saying it. So when it plays, I hear very lowly, what's he got there, got there, and then what's he got there? Yeah. That's what I'm hearing. That's part of what people say happens with EVPs. Remember Kathy Weber and Teresa Argy, the Haunted Housewives, when we went on the ghost hunt in Kent, told us that repeating is very common with EVPs repeating the same words like red light, red light, you know, and people didn't hear that either, but some didn't, but repeating. And also the mimicry is another factor that happens sometimes. Yeah. And that freaks me out almost more than any other part of it. (laughs) Yeah, of Uh, course. And especially when it sounds to me like me, and that's not the last time that's going to come up with this stuff. And if you're wondering what they're wondering about, keep in mind at this point, I've got a 4k camera on kind of a, uh, it's a bracket with two IR lights going and, you know, an onboard microphone. So it's not a huge, like, camera rig that you see it's in the not movies. not what they're talking about. You think they're talking about the DR60? Yeah. 
You think so? I don't know why. I just feel like I know that. I have no idea why I That's said interesting. that just now, but cool. I just feel like I know that. I feel like they're talking about the recording. Okay. I, I was just crap about the camera. <laughs> a billion people have been in there with cameras. That's Those true. DR60s are rare. That is true. I mean, less rare with paranormal people, but right. you know what uh, I'm My saying. overall feeling, I'm not discounting what you're saying. I'm no, no, or- and I, I'm not saying I'm right. By no, the no, way. I know. That's just the feeling I have. My thing is, what would they be talking about? Well, in this case, I'm juggling again a couple of things. So I've got a Zoom recorder I'm holding. I've got the camera on this brass with two lights going, you know, and they say that infrared light also affects them or lights them up some way. They interact with it. And I'm also holding the DR60. So I've got a few pieces of gear here. So to me, logically, that's like, if there is a ghost saying like, what is all that? What's he, what's he got there? That to me makes sense in general, like looking at what I'm holding and juggling and trying to figure out what is all that? All right. So we're going to play these three clips again, exactly as they were before. You listen, you see if you can hear it even once, or if you can hear it multiple times like me, or if you don't hear it at all, it's entirely up to you. We're not trying to tell you what to think. Here we go. And it's recording. And it's recording. And it's recording. So for me, I definitely hear the last one, but I'm hearing it's I'm hearing almost like a repetitious, multi-layered thing. Like, What's he got there? Got there? What's he got there? And like a weird the, echo. Yeah, and then the final one is a pretty clear got there, and okay. that one sounds like me to me, like I did it just now. Right. Right. And yeah. I, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, I and get I'm not that. freaked out by it. By the no, way, no, I mean it's, it's freaky, but it's, it, it's I'm not feeling like I was feeling after I heard File Ten. Just <laughs> right. to make that clear, I think everybody thinks I'm a big Freddy cat now, but I'm just. <laughs> Because I'm coming around on this stuff. I'm, yeah, getting, yeah. I'm, I'm getting to where I understand well, it it's, it's, a little better. As I said before, it's immersion therapy. The more you study this, and I believe this to be true of all stuff that scares us, anything paranormal. We have plenty of stories of people writing in with their stories, and it's like, well, the more you look at this, the more you try and understand it, the more you study it, that takes a lot of the fear away. And so what's happening here is that we're analyzing this, and you're getting used to it. And what I can tell you, the weird part about it is that even if you don't think you hear what's he got there, or just the word there at the end, which is the most clear, there shouldn't be anything there. There should be no audio after I'm done talking. I'm totally silent. There's no one in the room. You might say like, well, again, that's some kind of interference, but it sounds to me like at least, at the very least, the word there, which should not be there. No doubt we have a lot of true crime fans out there in the audience, myself included, which is why it was fun to go back to the Great Courses Plus and re-examine one of my favorite lecture series, Forensic History, Crimes, Frauds, and Scandals. Yeah, my wife and I always record 48 hours and watch it when we can, but just like having a DVR, what's great about having a subscription to the Great Courses Plus is that the over 10,000 lectures they have are always there for you. You can go back anytime and rewatch any of your favorites. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned crime shows because as Professor Murray says, these days, so much of what we know about crimes, victims, and criminals, and the forensics used to catch them comes from the media. But do you know what's considered by many to be the landmark case for crime reporting? Oh yeah, you must be talking about the legendary Jack the Ripper. Yeah. That story was covered locally by the newspapers at the time, and then it spread out across much of the world because the newspaper industry was booming in the latter half of the 19th century, especially in London. Additionally, technologies like the telegraph, and along with it, intercontinental communication and photography, 
were the kindling for a crime-reporting firestorm. Oh, and by the way, we're still getting a lot of requests to cover that case. Yeah, what also helped the story stay alive is that the guy was never caught, but a witness gave a solid possible description of the police. Dark hair, a thin mustache, about five feet, five inches tall, broad-shouldered, and around 30 years old. And the last of the widely agreed-upon group of female victims, known as the Canonical Five, Mary Jane Kelly, was killed on November 9th, 1888, exactly 130 years to the day we're recording this. Whoa, we gotta get the arc on this. Well, they can start with a free trial of The Great Courses Plus, like any of our listeners, by going to the special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. We know everyone's gonna love this series on forensic history and so many of their nearly countless other series on pretty much any subject you can think of. Check it out today by signing up through our special URL to start your free trial. Just go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends and get your real true crime fix or any other knowledge fix you're craving with thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Hi, I'm Alex, and I'm here to remind you that when you gaze into the abyss, the abyss gazes back. Now let's get back to the show. All right, before we get to the interviews, and we got a lot of great interviews with a lot of great experts. We're very fortunate. Honestly, I've never been able to so easily connect with so many people, but we'll come back to that in a minute which I'm saying a lot tonight, and a long time ago I said we had to stop saying that over well, the, and over. But we're really <laughs> we going to come back to we everything. We had a very specific complaint about that I'm going to address yes. at some point. Uh, I'll I'm get gonna, back to that. I'm going to address the complaint later. And I'll get back to that. <laughs> but yeah. it, honestly, we wanted to talk a little bit more about File 10 because we've gone through a couple of ways of presenting this just now, and we had to make a command decision. We were going to play it again, but we decided not to, and there's a wide variety of reasons for that, not the least of which being that people are freaked out by it. I've had to listen to it now so many times, even just tonight while we're recording, that I'm starting to get to where it's not bothering me. So uh, that's the good news there for me, like everybody cares about how I'm feeling. Uh, (laughs) We're finding out that we're hearing something different every time we listen. It sounds different on headphones. It sounds different on the speakers. We have studio monitors here in Blanket Fortiana. It sounds different on the little Mac earbuds. It sounds different coming out of the iPhone. And then on top of that, there's multiple layers that you can add to it. It sounds different playing through QuickTime versus through Pro Tools, even though the source file's the same. And that will be a WAV file, but sometimes it's an MP3. It's almost like no matter which way you play it, you hear something different, which points to a whole metadata thing that mm-hmm. we're going to get to later. But, uh, but <laughs> My the, zip file theory. Yeah, the zip file theory, as Forrest calls it, which I think is actually a great theory. You know, the other night when I was listening to it, but for the final QC, I went through this whole process of, I was trying to check it for the part two that we posted on the 30th. I have to listen in real time to make sure there's no mistakes and everything's good. And I noticed that it sounded a little strange to me. And I actually contacted Sarah, our editor, and I said, hey, when you were mixing this, did you do any kind of global mix or compression on it or something like that? And I don't want to get into all the technical terms about how that works, but it sounded a little different. I mean, she goes, oh yeah, you know what? I did do this one thing. Let me undo that. And uh, that may be making it sound different. And then she did. And then I got back to a familiar place for me, even though the differences were very, very subtle, but it was something that I could tell, but I heard a message in it. And I told Forrest, hey, you know what? We're going to talk about this. We're going to tell the audience about this message. Mm -hmm. And then we went and pulled it into this project that we're recording into right now. And we went to look for that section and I found it. And I heard some of the words I heard the other day, but not others. Right. We're going to just leave the file where it currently lives at the end of part two. And if you want to hear it, you can go back there and listen to it over and over. I believe we will also put up some clips eventually of 
Files 9, 10, and maybe 11 and 12, because those aren't so bad. We are going to play it later in a mutated form, right. an intentionally mutated form, right. which we, will be different, but not the original right now. Right. Here's just a quick thought of mine. It's like a living thing. You squeeze it one way, or it's a piece of clay that we, that analogy we use, in trying to form words. You squeeze one end, another end bulges out, or misshapens, and it becomes something else. It's elusive in a weird way. Very elusive. But it's always something. To me, the clay is still there. It's just in a different shape. So Scott is totally right. When you hear it even too much in one form or another platform, it changes as you chase it. And so it's kind of like a living thing. On that note, there's a couple things we wanted to talk about that we hear in it. And like we said, go back to the end of part two to hear those. But there's some really strange stuff buried in this file. Obviously, you know that. But once you get past the fear of listening to the crazy screaming and the sounds and you accept what it is and you maybe you turn the volume down and you listen again and you start trying to hear words, you start to hear things. And one of the messages that I heard pretty clearly a few days ago, but mm -hmm. then today I could only find parts of it. And right. that's the thing I can't figure out. But And I'm just being honest about it. But one of the things that I heard was, this is not the Sally house. And then... After that, it sounds like it says a bad word. There's an MF expletive. MF, yeah, and very kind of angrily. And then it says after that, so this is not the Sally house, Mother Hubbard. <laughs> but it's not Hubbard. <laughs> well, the, it's a different word for Hubbard. The initials are fitting, too. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And then after that, it says, this is my house. Get out or get out of here. Yeah. Here's what we've heard from other listeners who wrote into us on the Facebook page and other places, and they said that they heard that. And although I had posted it in a reply to a thread on Facebook somewhere, it was pretty well buried. I don't think the other people that were hearing it found that post. I think they heard it out of the blue. And then a lot of people were saying, I heard, get out of here. So there was this message in there that seemed like, this is not the Sally house, beep. This is my house, get out of here. So then tonight we were playing it and looking for that. And we're like, I'm, and I'm telling Force, we're just gonna play this section. They're gonna hear it, they're gonna hear it. But then I couldn't hear it anymore. But then we heard something else, which was really bizarre mm -hmm. and sounded really clear to me. And Forrest actually picked it out. And that was, the clip starts with, this is Michael. This is Michael. This is Michael. This is Michael. And then I hear it, what's funny is it's strong the first time and then it's kind of whispered or quieter the second time, but it sounds like the same three words. And that is a clip that I will play. We're going to play it right now. That actually precedes the part that I heard my message in. But if you want to hear that part, like I said, listen for the things we just played and then come back. By the way, we did not repeat those ourselves. Those occurred naturally in file 10 right after the very first yelling, screaming thing. So when file 10 starts and you hear that, that crazy thing, yeah. if you wait right after that ends, you get that, this is Michael. This is Michael. Like that. Yeah. As we mentioned just a little bit ago, repeating is a common thing with the EVPs, words and phrases being repeated. Yes. So I really wasn't thinking about that until now I heard it repeated. But the other thing I was thinking, of course, the other phrase that comes clear to me in this message, and again, the gestalt of the overall message here is, this is not your place. This is not a tourist attraction called the Sally House. Get out. This is my house. Right. To me, that's kind of the forming the overall message with a bunch of other words in there as well. But what came to my mind when it said, this is Michael, and also 
going back to the very clear and discernible scratches on Tony's back from the sightings episode, the words MC, well, whose house would this be? Who built this house? MC Finney. Michael Croman Finney. Exactly. Yeah, and that's interesting. It's it, well, a connection. It, again, again, a lot of investigators will look for a person that actually has a physical tie to the house. That is the person who built this house. That is whose house it would be, or maybe who's claiming whose house it is. And all these other people have come in after that and are now tromping around in his house, and he's not very pleased. And asking them who they are and interrupting them over and over. Yeah. That's mostly you. <laughs> mostly you. Hey, well, <laughs> I did the end. Uh, well, there's other things in there, too, that we're going to talk about. Like when I asked, can you tell us your name? Maybe not around there, but I thought I heard, I have a name. And there's a few other things. It's like, we just want to ask you a few questions. I thought I heard, I doubt it. Right. Or we just want to get some information from you. We just want to talk with you. And I thought I heard, I doubt it. But again, you, you're trying to pick out stuff that not everybody's going to hear. There's going to be some, a lot of people probably who hear this and like, oh, you're, you're crazy. Well, I don't hear yeah. any of this. And I want to go deeper on this, but I want to wait until after we've heard from our experts. So on that note, we're going to go to our first interview here. I don't want to set it up too much because the person who we're going to be talking to, his name is Joshua Lewis. He's going to tell the story as good as I can tell it, but it's really kind of remarkable because it all relates to a confluence of events that took place that on the surface might seem like a coincidence, but when taken in whole with the big picture of our Sally House experience and the DR60s and the EVPs and the publication of this, not only on our platform and channel, but on his channel and the channel of his friends, because he's got lots of friends in the paranormal world who are propagating on a much higher bandwidth than we are. All these folks are talking about EVPs as it relates to the DR60. And there's a little bit of an implication that there has been some kind of collective big picture manipulation happening to all of us from the other side, something beyond our understanding. So we're going to go into this interview with Josh. And I want you guys to understand that when we were in the Sally House and in Kansas, we did not know him. We did not meet him till way after the fact and you'll hear more about how we met when we talk to our forensic expert, who will be coming up after Josh, Ed Primo from Primo Forensics. So the only thing I want to say that I want to clarify about this, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the show, was that during my interview with Josh, we were talking about a particular event that we thought happened on the exact same day. I was wrong about that. I led him to believe that we were in the Sally House on July 21st for that particular session where we got files 9 and 10, all the files that we got in the house. And that is incorrect. We were in the house on the 20th, the day before. So it was not the same day as July 21st. So just keep that in mind as you're listening to this interview. So uh, here, we're going to roll it right now. Okay, so we're on with Josh Lewis of Hope Paranormal. And the story about how we crossed paths with him has really been super interesting to us, especially as it regards our particular case with the Sally House and the... DR60. A really interesting coincidence, or maybe something more than just a mere coincidence. Yes. So, uh, Josh, thank you for coming on the show. Can you uh, maybe introduce yourself to our listeners and tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah. Uh, first, I'll say thank you, Scott and Forrest, for having me on. I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, I think coincidences are uh, possibly God's way of keeping his anonymity. So we'll find out, you know, we'll kind of explore that. Um, I'm in South Florida. I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a filmmaker. Um, I, I'm kind of a couple different things, but my main passion and focus is, you know, afterlife research, spirit communication, 
ITC, intertrans communication, and exploring those as well as trying to offer, as kooky as it sounds, trying to offer help and assistance to the living and the dead. <laughs> if that makes sense. So do you have an ability that you would say that maybe not everyone has to communicate in that way? And, when, and if so, when did you realize that that was something that you could do? Well, it's interesting. About six years ago, I had you know the yearning to find out more about what's on the other side, what's going on. I'd seen the shows and all that stuff. I've always been a spiritual person. I was raised religious, Catholic, but you know, kind of fell away from that, like, you know, like a lot of people do, I think, but still hung on to the fact of, that I had a spirituality and a kind of an understanding of a higher power, I should say, and went out into the field with just a few different little cheap devices and wanting just a recorder and a little spirit box and seeing what could happen. And I ended up picking up voices, and that was shocking alone, responses to me talking, but also they were responses saying, help me, help me, I'm stuck things like that. And I kept hearing that. And so that really got me to thinking, well, is there anything that we could ever do to try to help these voices? Are they just echoes or are they actual spirits? Like, what's the deal? I worked with a medium and I, you know, a medium who was pretty well known doing it 20 years in her field there. And and we brought her out into these places that we already had been, these locations, graveyards and things like that. And You know, I had recorded those voices with some names as well. And, you know, sure enough, she just started picking up those names that I had already recorded without feeding her any information or giving her anything. And shortly in, about a month or so working with her and really kind of verifying that she was right through the recordings on a lot of her channelings and things like that, I started to pick up stuff. And I kind of wrote it off as just like I think Boris said, you know, kind of like a coincidence and, you know, maybe just kind of, you know, feeling some stuff. And I, you know, I didn't give it too much. And then eventually she said that I was going to be picking up even more on my own. And I kind of had a period where I was very um, reluctant and, you know, I don't know, skeptic, you know, I mean, this is, this is, you know, weird. My logical brain was not fully letting me go to that place, but yet these things were coming in spite of that disbelief, I should say. And eventually I got a couple things that I knew were, I couldn't overlook anymore. And that's when I started to work with someone who has this school of, it's called the International School of Clairvoyance. Her name is Deborah Katz. And she's worked with Ingo Swan and all these amazing people that have worked on, you know, the remote viewing for the CIA. So she's, she's actually getting her parapsychology um, PhD. She's working with some amazing people. And so she took me through her course, you know, her, I mean, I worked with her extensively and I ended up starting doing readings for her because I started getting stuff so amazing. So I've now done over about 1500 readings for people with a lot of testimonies from people, strangers that I've just done readings for. And that's been absolutely amazing. But what I've really wanted to continue to do, and I have a channel, YouTube channel, and I display my work and uh, showcase it there. How do people find your channel? It's Hope Paranormal White Light. That's the channel. The new website coming, hopeparanormal.com. But Hope Paranormal White Light is the channel. And uh, Hope is an acronym, stands for Helpers of Paranormal Entities. And what it is, so... I'm all about marrying the intuitive, the psychic ability with the science of ITC and trying to verify both. And that's what I work on. That's what I do. 
we're using a number of different devices to do that. We're using different spirit boxes, radio boxes, sound bank boxes. But the coolest thing that we're using, that's one of the biggest things that skeptics can't just discredit is, and why we're talking today, is the DR60 recorder, which is just a regular basic cheap voice recorder well, it was Panasonic. Cheap in the 90s. <laughs> that's, that's right. In the 90s, a cheap $30 recorder that people had said that you know they had heard other voices on and complained to Panasonic about, and Panasonic had no explanation other than there might have been a, a malfunctioning um, chip or something inside the recorder, and they discontinued it. And so now someone found that about 10 years later, I believe, in like the early 2000s, a paranormal investigator had found one and started using it. And that's when they started to kind of pop up on the radar for this purpose. Now they're going for 1500 2000 some $3,000 on, on eBay. And that's where we got to this whole thing with Primo. It's pretty amazing, you know? So let's talk about that story. I want to go back to how that unfolded for you. You have a pretty amazing 18 or 19-minute video on it, which we're going to direct our, all our listeners to to check out. Okay, cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what led you to send your DR60 to add Primo at Primo Forensics? Well, it's really wild. I see that you guys have a Patreon too, and I have one as well. And so I have about 100 or so patrons that sign up to see the inside track on what I'm doing. And I share some really intimate thoughts with those people. But those people also want me to try once a month to reach out to their loved ones. There's no guarantee. I make no guarantees or nothing like that. And it's just a small thing that they put in. And I just kind of get a list of names and I set up my gear and I will do a group session. I call it a group session where I record it and I use a number of different devices and I just ask for these people's loved ones to come through. On July 21st, I was doing my July group session. And as I was doing it, I hear this name, a man say, Primo. And I, I heard the name and I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That's an Italian name or something that sounds like I'm Italian. It just kind of stuck out, but I had no Primo on my list. And that doesn't mean that others can't come through. So I, I didn't know. Then I heard a female about a minute or so after, not even a few seconds after, say Primo. And I went, whoa, it's okay. So it just kind of stuck in my mind. It wasn't like, you know, mind blowing or nothing because I don't know who a Primo was. I didn't know one. On July 23, I was in the car and I was driving, listening to CNN on the satellite radio and Chris Cuomo was doing his primetime thing. And uh, they were talking about the Trump tapes at the time and some controversial crap. And uh, he goes, you know, all right, let's you brought in an audio expert. we got an audio expert. We're going to talk to this guy today. He's going to break down the Trump tapes. Come on, let's go. Come on. Uh, we got Ed Primo. Ed Primo, can you come in here, Primo? And he starts calling him Primo. And I'm like, whoa, my ears perk up. And I'm listening, and this guy comes on, and he's like, I'm a forensic audio expert. What I do is I review speech on really bad tapes, and I have to be objective. I have to have fresh ears. We all have an ability to hear different aspects of sound and speech, and this is what I do over 35 years' experience. And I said, wow, this is either the weirdest coincidence or what? I, you know, I don't know. But you know, like I've done my whole life, I've pretty much been that go-getter. I attack it whenever I could see something. That night, I was Googling Primo. I found his office. I found his office number. Next day, I was calling his office in the morning. I got his assistant who said, oh, yeah, he's in his office. We put him through. Bam, I was on the phone with Ed. 
I said, you know, you did a great job on CNN last night. Josh, and, can I stop you for a second and ask yeah, you a couple of quick questions about yes. stuff that you already said? When you were doing the group session and you talked about the voices, were these voices that you were getting over a spirit box or something, or they you were hearing them in your head? No, they were over the spirit box. When I'm in the group session, I do some intuitive work, but I'm mostly focusing on the box and trying to get the responses to come through for the patrons to hear. Right. It was through one of my speaker boxes that I was, my spirit boxes that I was using. And what's cool about that is that you actually have video of this session in that one particular video that I was referring to, right? Where you can see. Right. I put it all in there. Right. Everything that I have regarding this whole thing in that video. And the spirit box you have, that's one that you bought from Steve, one of his, right? Right. I have a number of different boxes, so I don't just have that one. I have a couple of different boxes that I use, one called a Frank's box, which is... Those are the originals, right? Yeah, Frank's box is... Frank Sumption was the one that created the spirit box. He's the one that created it. He's no longer with us, but I have number 78 of one of his boxes. Oh, kind that's of cool. That is yeah, cool. so it's pretty cool. And then I have like the PSB7, which is like a $70 cheap, like it looks like a little handheld radio that you can get from China. And it's really just a radio that is able to just skip through all the stations very quickly. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's it. So, I mean, you know, you would say any skeptic would say, well, isn't that just bits and pieces of radio coming through? And yes, you know, there are bits and pieces of radio coming through. But spirit, we know now, can manipulate sound and formulate what they want to say with some degree of limitation. They can use those little it's and bits and pieces of audio to formulate a full word that you might have to just slow down to 70% or so just to you know kind of hear what they're fully saying. But when there's a pertinent, clear, intelligent response to a comment or a question that I've made, we know that that's not radio. Sorry, it's not. If I say, can you say my name? They say, Josh. The chances of my name coming through the radio at that exact moment from a radio station is next to nil. It really is. So those are the things that we're looking for. And that's what I was doing during that group session. I was doing one of those spirit box sessions. Can you explain for our listeners who aren't familiar with what a spirit box is, can you explain a little bit about how it works or what its components are and how it actually, where the voices come from or where we think they come from? Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll just explain, you know, without even bringing up Steve Huff's boxes, which are the more newer ones, I'll just talk about, like I said, the Frank's box. The Frank's box was really just a radio. It was a box that he had a housing for. He just, you know, he used to make these out of all different things, wooden boxes where he would put a radio inside this box and he would hook it up to just a speaker or whatever. And then he might add an effect to it where there's like a switch, you know, like a little bit of a reverb or an echo. And the reason is because spirit doesn't have a voice box. They're energy. We know that they're energy, you know, and energy cannot be created nor destroyed. And so they are energy and they're able to use their energy to formulate words. And they can do this through the recorder, as we're talking about, just without any kind of extra noise really in there to help them. Or you can feed them a little bit of noise. And that could come from something like a radio source or even just a sound bank. I mean, we've taken one word. I think it was like we did an experiment where we used the word meow, like a cat meow, and just kind of played it in a sound bank repeating. And we've added a little bit of an effect to it, like a reverb and echo. And we'd ask questions and you can hear the spirit trying to manipulate and manipulating those 
sounds to formulate their own words to answer us. It's controversial. It's called ITC, intertranscommunication, and there's different forms of it. You can do a number of different ways to try this. But yeah, I mean, this is all about experimenting, and we found that they can use it. So with the Spirit Box, well, I'll just say that it's a radio, like I said, and so there's a skip on it, and you can make the skip the stations kind of slower or faster, and you put it up faster, so maybe something like 150 milliseconds, 200 milliseconds, and it's kind of like... Dip, 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 dip. You know, you kind of hear those little bits and pieces of sound with a little bit of white noise in there. And when you can ask a question and the spirit can formulate an answer over three or four different stations, but it's one word over three or four different stations, that's amazing. That's very hard to discount. I mean, you can't just, that's what we've got. And it's getting clearer. And it's getting longer, it's getting better. It's really come a long way from when Frank Sumption created his early Frank's boxes. Do you have any idea what made him come up with the idea <laughs> to make the very first one? Yes, I do. In fact, it's really a weird quick side story to that. But he was not trying to create this to talk to spirits. Okay. He, in fact, was kind of against the idea of using it for spirit communication. It was for alien communication. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just as interesting. Now, on every one of his boxes, he would add a little alien that he would burn into with like a wood-burning pen. He would burn in a little alien that's like with a spaceship above it. And it was meant for alien communication. And he was big on using these boxes for that. And he didn't like making a lot of money, so he was very like – he was kind of in his little renaissance of just trying to, you know, he had the ideas and he was doing it and he was kind of a grumpy old man, but I had talked to him in his later years and it was weird right before he died about a week prior, he posted on Facebook. I was Facebook friends with him as well. And he posted, I've spoken to the aliens. They've made contact with me and they said that they are coming to get me in a week. So in a week I will be leaving. And if this wasn't something out of K-Pax, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know, because let me tell you something. A week later, the man dies. So that's the side story in Frank Sumption. There's a lot of people, though, now hypothesizing a connection between the spirit realm and aliens. I think it's all connected for us, I would say. I, I think everything. We, we say that on the show I, I, all I the don't time. Think there's separation. Yeah. We've stopped just short of trademarking that expression, actually. So thank <laughs> right. you. You brought it right in there for us. <laughs> oh, good. Good. So let's get back to so you called Ed Primo's office. You're talking to him. You're on the phone with Ed. What happens next? So I said to Ed, I said, I know this sounds crazy, but I'm picking up disembodied voices. I'm in afterlife research. This is what's going on. And it's been going on for six years. And he goes, are they discernible? And I said, a lot of them are, maybe not to the layman, but you know, someone that does listen to speech on a regular basis could definitely pick out a lot of these words. He goes, I'm intrigued. I said, you know, I'd love to send you something and show you. And if, and, and if we go further, I can actually record something for you. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Send it to me. And that was on July 26th. And then it took me, let's see, I sent him some stuff the next day. They were even more intrigued at that point. They gave me the hourly rate and all that stuff and said, hey, let's get into this. And uh, on September 12th, is when I did an actual recording for it. And, and, and what I did was, and it's in that video that you speak of, after doing this work for so long at this point, I've pretty much been able to 
make intelligent contact with familiar spirits, spirits that say they are my guides. The messages that come through from these spirits, whether it be through the box or through the recorder, are very positive, very helpful. I can't always make all of them out, but the shorter, more clear ones are, you know, I love you, I'm helping you, I'm protecting you, I'm with you, those kinds of nice things. And one of them is, I believe, one of my main guides, his name is Michael. I know it sounds kind of kooky, but I asked for Michael to work with me on this project with Primo. And I said, uh, I'm going to do a recording here where I'm going to ask a series of maybe five or six questions. I would like for the answers to be one or two words only, unlike the responses I normally get, which are full sentences and longer. And to clarify now, the initial recording back in July that you had or where you first heard Primo, that was a spirit box. But at this point, you've since talked to Ed and you're now deciding that you're going to initiate a conversation and you're going to record it this time, the one you're talking on about a recorder. Right now, on the DR60, right? Right. That is right. correct. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to invite Michael, my guy, to come in and talk on the recorder and answer a couple basic questions. So the first thing I ask, I say, and I record this on video so that Ed can see me do the whole thing on video. And I said, okay, Michael, can you say your name? And, you know, I play it or I record it and I play it back and clearly you can hear a word that sounds like Michael, Michael, you know, very quick and sounds just like Michael. I said, okay, great. I said, we're sending this to a guy named Ed Primo. Can you say Ed Primo's name? And I record and I then hit play and you hear Ed Primo, you know, you hear, you know, that name, you hear Ed's name being said. I then expand and ask a couple more questions, which I couldn't make out in real time. Those others I could make out in real time. The Michael and Ed Primo, I could hear and repeat it after he says it. But the other ones I couldn't hear necessarily in real time. But they were clear enough that I was able to caption a few of them. And one of them was saying that Ed's going to find nothing, meaning that he's impressed. Like one of them says he's impressed. Yeah, and then he will find nothing. I but think. he will find nothing. And, and I find that to be crazy that that was said prior. I didn't even hear it until well after, I mean, weeks after I couldn't, I finally was able to make that out. And it was after Ed found nothing or that he, not that he didn't find nothing. He found stuff, but he couldn't explain it. And that's where it ended with him. But he had that and that was proof. Now, then I spoke to Ed and we talked about it. He said, I can hear why you would think that sounds like my name or Michael, he said, because it sounds kind of like it. I can't say it's saying that, but that's what I feel it, you know, it could be saying. And he goes, it's weird. He goes, I would have discounted this whole thing from you, he said, if it wasn't for someone else, just like you sending in their same exact recorder. And I said, are you kidding? And he said, yeah, he goes, someone send in a DR60 recorder where they left it in a room and walked away and, and asked the spirits to speak. And they sure did. They spoke or something spoke. And we're trying to replicate that sound. I have these two recorders now that came from two different parts of the country that he's trying to find the answer for. So that's where we were with that. Yeah. And that brings us to kind of, you know, where we are now. There's more that happened after that, but... Um, All right, so here's something I'd like to point out. 
there's a long string. I, I doubt that you've heard our incredibly long, and I don't blame you, <laughs> Halloween series on the Sally House, because part one is four hours. That's historical. It's all interviews with people who have lived in the house and experienced these hauntings, which is where we got our recording. And then part two is about all about our EVP and how we gathered it. And that part posted on the 30th of October. And you've heard our EVP, obviously, because I sent it to you back yeah. when we first connected. Here's something that is super interesting to me. The group session that you did for your patrons, right, where you first heard Primo in the male and female voice through a spirit box, right. You did that on July 21st? Right. That is the day that we were in the Sally House and got our recording. Or was it the 20th? It was the 21st, because wow. that was the day of the Chasing Earhart panel. We know that because that we were in That's town right. That's right. for a panel on Amelia Earhart, which is some another case that we've investigated because we cover right. all kinds of stuff. Which is very interesting. <laughs> right. I think it's interesting. I think it is. So you spoke to Ed on the 26th. You said, we had not thought to talk to Ed. And in fact, it took Forrest a few weeks. He was listening to the recording. And I kind of make fun of him about this because he's, <laughs> I call it, he's always writing a movie, I'll say. He's looking for, you know, it's like that scene in Mothman Prophecies. And the screenwriter of that is actually a friend of ours, has been on our show a few times. You know, there's that That's scene cool. where they're looking at the EVP that Richard Gere's character's got, and the guy's like, well, I don't know what you got here, but it's not human. It's not you in know? the human range. Yeah, it's not right. the human. No, the reason I, I bring that up, Scott, basically, the reason that it is in the movies in yeah. the first place is because those are the questions that people want to know. They right. want the answers to. Right. And what is this thing? What is the connection here? Right. And, and that's what we want to know. What's the connection between you and us? So Forrest came to me and he said, we need to send this to like a forensic guy. And I was like, are you kidding? That's going to be a billion dollars an hour. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, but no, they'll tell us it's not human. I'm like, stop writing a movie. That's what I'll say. <laughs> and so, but then I thought about it. I sat with it for a week or two and we used to work in post-production commercials and all that kind of stuff. And so we, right. we got high level friends that do mixing and are professionals. And I was like, well, we'll just talk to those guys. And we did, by the way, not to diminish them because we've having them on this particular episode as well. But I got to thinking, I was like, well, maybe I should look into this. So, and I can't say the date on this, but one night I went online and I was Googling forensic audiology. And I can't really say exactly when this was. I was looking for it. And I remember I came across a couple of names, not Ed's. I thought, oh, I should reach out to one of these guys. But as usual, Forrest and I were very harried because we're constantly kind of behind the eight ball with production. And I put it off. Then the next day, I went back online. I was like, oh, yeah, I got to remember to do that. And I was Googling again. And then Ed became, he was a very prominent search return. And mm -hmm. then he popped up in a YouTube video. And it was him. It wasn't a CNN appearance. It was him talking about how impartial he was. And he didn't want any to be predisposed to any information. And he came off to me as so professional. And then I found out that he, he analyzed the cockpit tapes for MH370. He'd done the Cohen tapes. I was like, this is the wow. guy. This is the yeah. man. So... At that point, I reached out to his office, or within a couple of days of that, I reached out to his office. And I think that was in September. So here's a question I have for you. Do you know why it took you all the way from July 26th to September 12th to do your DR60 recording? Yeah. I tried a few times prior, and they didn't come out very well. I could tell that Michael was trying to make it perfect for us to do this. And they're not monkeys, they're spirits. I mean, as far as I can understand, and based on my research, I believe they are former human beings. Some are stuck, some are able to move through dimensions, you know, whether you want to call it from heaven to here and that kind of thing. But I knew that that was the plan. I told Michael, my guide, I said, I'd like to do this. 
So we're going to do this in the next few days. How many times do you think you attempted uh, before? Twice. Twice. Just twice. Okay. Yeah. But you, twice. you you were spacing it out because you just whatever life gets in the way, and also to yeah. give him some space and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because it takes a lot for them to do this, and they're always talking about the light. They're not talking about necessarily the light regarding, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent here, but it's that they're they're not talking about the light and crossing over. They're talking about they need more light. They are light. I've now done a few videos where I've been able to capture lights moving in and out of my head and swirling around on top of my head before going inside my head. And I believe that then it's impossible to fake. It's nothing that I can, it's just simple. I was in my car and you could see this bright light coming right in and right through. And it happens three or four times. And it's now kind of showed me a little bit more that I believe those are the guides. One, I believe those are my guides kind of moving in and out of my space energy field. And they're always talking about the light and they're saying, we need more light call down the light, channel the light, ask for the light. And they're not saying we need the light to go to heaven. They're saying we need more light to communicate, to talk. And sometimes they're tired. Sometimes they have to rest. They say they need to rest. In every video on my YouTube channel, whether it's a spirit box, whether it's a Frank's box, whether it's a Huff box, a PSB7, whether it's the DR60 recorder that has nothing to do with any of that other stuff, the word light is mentioned in every video, if not more than once. Okay, that's fascinating. What's interesting to me, and maybe I'm reaching at this point, though, is uh, so you had your successful recording on the DR60 with Michael regarding yep. where he said Primo, he's, he's impressed, impressed but that's he will it. find nothing. Yes. Um, you know, he said that, and then he said a couple other things. I mean, it's all there. All, all of those recordings are on that video. We should, by the way, listen to your recording again in hindsight and see if there's any connection to ours, I think, and, okay. or to us, to our names, to what we experienced. But here's the thing I wanted to tell you. You made that recording on the DR60 on September 12th. Right. We shipped ours to Ed on the 13th. <laughs> I have the receipt. So those are two coinciding I have the shipping dates. receipt. Right. So yeah. July 21st, we made our recordings on the same day, you in Florida, us in Kansas. And then well over a month later, you were making your second recording and we shipped ours the day after you made that recording on the 13th. Actually, it was the third. I had tried two prior times that didn't work. So that would have been the third time on 9-12 that I recorded it and it worked perfectly you couldn't ask for, I mean, pretty much better results as far as I was concerned. Right. And then you shipped it on the 13th, right? Josh, what do you think is the connection here? Why is this happening? What is beyond coincidence here? So there were a couple messages that I recorded in between, and that's on that video. I recorded on the DR60 after talking to Ed that day. So on the 25th or 6th, I spoke to him. Later that day, or actually right after getting off the phone with him, I went into my office and I pulled out my recorder and I asked Michael to comment on it. And he said his name. He said it for the first time then. And he said some other things that I believe were like, this could really help. This could be big or something like that. I got to look at it again because there's so many that I record. I tag them and then I kind of have to move on. You know, there was something in reference to at that moment, it felt like Michael had some kind of hope with it, 
it almost feels like. If you watch the video, I think you'll kind of feel that just based on what I believe I tagged. Again, whatever I tag on these things is not fact. They are my suggestion as to what I believe they are. Okay. So it's always open for other interpretation, but I scrutinize like Ed does. I don't just listen one time and go, oh, I think it sounds like this. I will literally listen to the same recording over the course of a week on multiple different devices, headphones, regular speakers on the computer day and night. Ed says you have to have fresh ears. I've read his book. I've read Ed's book. That's not my voice. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do remember that now. That's not my voice. And I had one of my patrons send it to me and I read it and he talks about having, you know, the little hairs in your ears that help listen to sound. After hearing so much, they start to get tired and they start to lay down in your ear, like near where you hear this and, you know, I guess the eardrum or whatever. And so, you kind of have to give it a break. And so that's what I do when I tag these things. I have to get up, walk away, come back, you know, fresh ears. It's all about that. So you could hear Michael kind of having some hope when I recorded on 912, you know, and I didn't know that in real time, but it sounds like maybe Michael kind of knew something again that we didn't. So what was the point of that? What's the connection you're asking? And I think that there was something going on where My short-sighted mind says, oh, Ed's the key. They're leading me to Ed. This is kind of crazy. And Ed's going to blow the doors open and he's going to off this thing and he's going to verify our work. And we're going to be able to really show the world this and that. Okay. That doesn't happen. So I don't know if something went wrong in the space-time continuum changed on some level or whatever it was, or that this is still all big part of the master plan, that Ed wasn't the final result, that it was maybe to talk to you guys and then to share it more. Maybe someone else hears it, maybe the Colorado University thing. You know, I don't know. The chess game is a lot bigger than just a couple moves, so I don't know. But it sounds like there was more than one spirit or whatever it was, forces that were trying to kind of get us to send this in and start getting this stuff looked at, verified, just looked at, I guess. I mean, I think that that's got something to do with it. I mean, I have a theory as to why I have a channel and why Steve Huff has a channel and why we do what we do and why we are so different than most other paranormal people. I think that there's a theory to that. I think it's because we have a lot of people that message us both and say, thank you. I've had no faith. I don't believe in religion. I didn't believe in afterlife. I'm an atheist. And based on your findings and your videos and your research, you're giving me hope or you're showing me that there might be something more. And it's not just about showing people that there's something more, but it's about living the right way now. You know, it's not about do what you want, wait till death, and then we're going to escape this mess. It's like you got to apply these things into this life right now. So that like we don't go into the afterlife and feel like we're stuck or have these issues and these messages that we continuously get. So I, you know, I think that's the theory. So I thought that this had something to do with that, helping to get this out there more. That was my idea to answer that question, I guess, in a long-winded way. Sorry. Well, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We're starting to get those emails too, albeit we have a large body of work in terms of investigating different kinds of right. mysteries and that sort of thing. But th- it's not all focused in this arena. And when it comes to EVPs, this was exactly our second show where we even talked about EVPs. Wow. One of the first things that Ed said to me in the transcript now 
Mm-hmm. And this is I'm so funny. Yeah. Did you see a blog post anywhere and contact me as a result of a blog post that you read about this recorder? In hindsight, he didn't really cop to this, but basically he was convinced that maybe I had seen your posting. There has been some talk of the TV show type stuff. And uh, I, I had mentioned that to the showrunner that's working with me on that and all that and, and about the Primo situation. And then all of a sudden, Primo tells me about this. And so, you know, we thought maybe, and I only had mentioned it to my patrons, and he said, oh, it's a high profile or someone with a big following, he said. And I said, oh, man, I said, I hope it's not like Zach Bagans or something that, you know, <laughs> found out about this. And now, because he's got a DR60, and that's what he does. He kind of leaves him in a room and walks away sometimes. So I said, Zach's going to try to upstage me here. What the heck is this, this guy, you know? Yeah. So I didn't know what the situation was until Ed said, no, 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 it's not that. And uh, I said, because it's got to, I mean, it, that's too big of a coincidence, Ed. I said that this guy, whoever it is, just found you at the same time that I found you, you know? And I think that's what I put that in his head at first until he kind of squashed that and said, no, no, it's not that. I mean, I Googled him. To me, it makes it even weirder, I guess. And then Here's the other thing I want to talk about is what he said to us in our first call. But we're hoping to talk to Ed just for our listeners' sake. At the time that we're recording right now with Josh, we don't know if we're going to get him. But if we if we don't get him on the show, we'll get him on later because he has agreed to come on the show and talk about both of these recorders and the recordings that he analyzed. But one of the things that he did say to us was that they had the same thing on them. To him, they were the right. same thing. And what's yep. interesting about that is that our EVPs do not sound alike. No, they don't. They don't sound alike at all. But what he goes by is the sine wave. And when he looks right. at the sine wave of our EVPs, he's seeing the same signature. And Correct. so one of the things that he told me, I'm just going to read his exact words here. Everything about the recording of you speaking has the appropriate positive and negative cycles for each of the sine waves. Right. The sound that's unknown doesn't. It has a very heavy north signal and a very low signal under the horizontal line. And that's the same as the other case that I have with the same type of sound. And he's talking about your DR60 and your recording that you got with Michael. And he's saying that essentially the signature of the sound that Michael left you and the signature of the sound that we got that are very different in nature, but the scientific signature or fingerprint Mm -hmm. of them is identical. And I think that really threw him for a loop. Now, I don't want to put words in his mouth. We'll have him on to talk about it. But I was going to suggest that if you can't get the interview, if it'd be okay to kind of share more of some of these transcripts, I guess, um, yes. you know, and on, you know, through your podcast here. Yeah. I mean, that's what he was saying. I mean, pretty much on the, on the phone call with me, he didn't go into as much detail. I don't know as much about sound like you would, because I think you're a little bit more learned on that kind of thing. But, you know, he was saying, he goes, this is, he goes, I'm not saying this officially. He goes, but it's almost like it's mimicking or it's, very similar to human speech, but it's not being left by a human. He said that I can tell you it's not similar to your sound signature, your sound wave, but it does have the movement or it does resemble something that could be thought of as speech, you know, and I thought that was very interesting because it's not dipping below the line. Yours goes above the line, below the line. This is kind of staying above that baseline, right. you know, and that, of course, we found to be very interesting because one of the theories that Steve Huff has, he's the one that kind of found this out more. I mean, he proved this on some level, and I'll tell you how he did this. He is convinced, and I would probably concur with him at this point, that the spirit is not using the microphone. 
we are using the microphone when we're talking. And you're saying, well, what do you mean? They're leaving the message internally. This is his take, and now I believe it to be the case, that they are not using the microphone in the standard or in the traditional sense of the way the microphone is to be used. They're using sounds, internal hissing almost, like there's a little bit of an internal hissing from the recorder. They're leaving it on the recorder in a different way. And I'll say this, what Steve did, he took his recorder, he hit record, he put it in one of his uh, Pelican cases, and he swam to the bottom of his pool. He asked the question before going underneath the water, and, he, and, it, I, and the video is on his YouTube, and he went underneath the water, and he asked the spirit to leave a message when it was down there, and he came back up, and there was a message on the recorder. So when Ed was trying to replicate this sound, that was his thing. I don't want to focus on, he says, I don't want to focus on trying to interpret it or yes, go into any more about this. He made that real that. clear. He did not. He made that very clear. Yeah. That's not the scientific way to go about this. I don't want to do that. Okay. Right. I don't want to do that. But what I do want to do is I have to get a standard. I have to get, uh, I forgot the term for it, but. Um, exemplar. But he, uh, an, an exemplar. Thank you. He had to get an exemplar, which is an exact, you know, like him creating the sound himself. And that's all he wanted to do. And he couldn't do it. He could not replicate that sound. And when he told me this, I said, I don't know how you're going to do that, Ed. I said, what I can do for you is I can get on video call with you or I can get on a voice call with you, whatever. And you can have my recorder over there in Michigan. And I'll tell you how to move the volume to the sweet spot that I have found and, and the sensitivity level that I have put it on. And and you can turn it on and I'll either ask one of my guides to go over there and speak for you or with you or whatever. And, or a spirit around you is going to say something. I said, but I can guarantee you that I can get some kind of message with you doing it. And he was all about that. He wanted me to even fly to Michigan and I was ready to, I said, let me jump on a plane tomorrow. I was ready to do it. Me and Steve. And he was like, all right, well, before you do that, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have you do that. He said, but let's hold off on that. Let me first do this thing and research a little bit more. And that's when it all kind of came to a, a stop pretty much. Well, I think maybe with regard to all of us, it's like you said, I love chess. I love the game, <laughs> but I'm not good. But I love the game. You know? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. But like when you said that we can only see a couple of moves and the game is hard right. to see. I honestly, especially after talking to you today, I do feel like more of a pawn than I might have thought of us as being. There's it seems to be a big picture thing going on here. Absolutely. I, and I think the combined exposure of all our different venues, it may be that something is seeking that with this particular case that we have. There is a question that, you know, we're still trying to come to grips with the actual EVP that we got. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that, about ours, which you've sure. heard and you provided yep. a translation on, which we're going to share with our audience. But have you ever heard another EVP like the one that we got, whether it's a DR60 or anything else? And then we actually have an Excel spreadsheet because we got so many reactions, I think a couple of hundred. And we have um, our head of research has compiled them onto this spreadsheet to how people felt when they heard it and different interpretations, things that happened hmm. to them emotionally, and it's pretty crazy. So wow. one thing that has fascinated me the most about the varying reactions is that there seems to be a little bit of a split between people who think that it is an angry, aggressive, mm. condescending, you know, angry, dark entity or dark message, and others who think that it's just plain frustrated. 
it's angry, yes, but it's not a pointed anger. It's uh, more no, like it's frustration. It's not dark entity. If anyone thinks it's dark entity, normally people that think it's dark entity or anything like that is people that are definitely not as acquainted with this kind of work or this kind of stuff. And they watch a lot of movies. And I get that. I'm in the movie business. You know, my last film was a horror film called Devil's Tree. So, I mean, you know, I, I get it. You know, I understand that. But there are negative entities. There are entities that are out there that are, are not nice. They are not human, I think. There's some that are like that. I think that's more and far and few between that we actually encounter that kind of stuff. I think the majority of what we get is mostly positive. But, you know, I'm dealing with something right now where I've got my guys talking about a spirit. They're saying a name and he's a disruptor. So, I mean, whether or not I want to give it any credence or not, I'm going to have to do something about it at some point. And it doesn't mean I'm going to have to call in an exorcist or anything like that or a priest. You know, I'm going to have to use my faith and, and do what I do and uh, trust that, you know, we'll be able to get rid of it. But it's a guy who is not along with the program. He wants to be a disruptor. There are disruptors. You know, there's disruptors walking around right now. Go outside and just talk to certain people in real life. I mean, you're going to meet positive people, but you're going to get someone that's probably going to give you a hard time somewhere. And why is that any different on the other side? It's not. I mean, you know, I don't think that those kinds of people are on higher planes like in heaven, but they're definitely, I think, walking around here and able to do things. So you've got someone in that pertaining to that EVP that you're talking about, and I don't remember exactly what I had tagged or what I had heard, I'd have to kind of listen to it again or have you tell me what the captions were. But I'm pretty sure it was, it sounded like they might've been Spanish or they might've had some kind of, it sounded like an older spirit and it just sounded like someone that was stuck in the house or stay, or chose to stay in the house. And if there's a lot of paranormal investigators going in and out of these places, because there's always these hunts and these kinds of tours that are going on, there are going to be a group of spirits that are going to be some that feel like they run the house. Some feel like they don't want those people there. Some that are going to want those people there. There's all kinds of things that are happening behind the scenes. I'm not trying to figure out if this is a ghost or not. I feel like it is a spirit. And I am now just trying to figure out exactly what they're saying. Three quarters of these messages, I cannot interpret. But the ones I can, where they're clear enough, I feel like, you know, and I'll take a best stab at it and I'll throw some captions. If, I mean, I won't throw captions on it if I don't feel like it's that. I'm not going to just say, oh, this is what I, but I start to hear something and I'm going, is that what I'm hearing? That's when I got to get up and walk away and I got to leave it alone for a few hours. And when I go back to sit back down and listen, I've only got about three times of listening to it before I start to get jaded. If I don't get it within the first two or three times, once sitting down, I got to leave that recording alone again. Right. And at a later date, I will find sometimes if I'm in a different space, maybe it is, maybe I'm more intuitive at that moment. And so, or in the, you know, I'm more tuned in. And so maybe there is some kind of intuition that I'm feeling regarding that. You know what I'm saying? So I, I could see what you're saying as possibly being the case. Well, I'm an amateur, so I don't know. Well, I, I'm, I'm undergoing some changes, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm a different man than I was before I went into the Sally House in July, and I'm trying, Amen. To, trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Well, in, in regards... Welcome to the journey, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that there's a connection between the specific entities at the Sally House and anything that you're doing? Or... No. Okay. It's just wondering if there is a bigger thing and say you have some spiritual help there 
are they monitoring what's going on yeah, at the see, Sally House? Yeah, I get House? the feeling for me, and I've got nothing to base this on, but I get the feeling that the guides that are with Josh have the, as you say, the 10,000 foot view over what we were experiencing. I would say so. And they said, so, you know, now's the time, you know, Ed's not going to buy this unless he gets two recorders at the same time. Well, so. think about it. I mean, Ed says to me, I was going to discount what you sent to me unless this other guy sent me his recorder. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of weird. He kind of admits right there that there was a greater reason for you sending it or me, us, not me for you or you for me, yeah. but together that we both sent it in. Yeah. You know, not like one's more important than the other. It's really just that there is some kind of network on the other side right. where I think there is a little bit of a fight for good and evil. I think there is that going on. You know, I think that the spirits that are around me and around Steve know that they have a platform in a sense that there's an importance to what we're doing, that we're reaching more and more people. Now you're doing the same thing in a way, you know, you're reaching more and more people, you're showing and shedding light on some things that are very taboo. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, real cat or whatever it is, you know, people that are, you know, Bible thumpers that are like, dude, what you are doing is the devil's work and you are communicating with nothing but the jinn, the demons, the, you know, all these horrible things and you're giving them a voice. And I say, well, what's the end result? I've been doing this six years and I've been helping people and we've been growing and I've been showing that you got to be nice to people and you got to, you know, do good and you got to spread light and love. I mean, where are they going to drop the hammer on me and say, now kill everyone? I mean, I don't understand. I'm keep getting positive messages here. Normally when I get evil that comes through and it's not very often, but when they come through, they say that they're evil. Something says that they're evil. I'm evil. I'm here to, I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to get the hell out of here in the name of Jesus Christ. And you're gone. And then that's it. They're gone. You know, I might deal with it a little bit longer, but in the end result, I mean, I, and I live a very good life. I have a very blessed life and I have problems in my life sometimes like anyone else, but there hasn't been any possessions. There's no pea soup flying around. <laughs> I think that the spirits that are working with me and Steve see the greater purpose in this and say, wait a minute, we can get a lot more people to save themselves, to care about themselves more to do more good or to believe in something greater than themselves by showing them this non-religious way that has nothing to do with religion, you know, and I, I state that, you know, this is about mixing spirituality with science. I believe it's like you said, everything is connected. And so I think that they're trying to spread light, however, that they do that, whether it's helping spirit crossover that are stuck, which is probably helping the collective overall, or, you know, helping people in this life that are walking on this earth, like me and you, to stop thinking that there's nothing out there, to start just asking the question and start the seeking process of God doesn't make himself too hard to those that seek him, whether that's Buddha, Allah, Krishna, Jesus, it doesn't matter. That's my belief. It, I don't think it matters. I think that you can, we can all choose a guide, a master guide to help us. I choose Jesus. That's the guy I ask to help guide me. But I've worked with many other spiritual people that work with Buddha, work with Krishna, like I said. So it's all good. And so I think there is a greater purpose. You know, I really do. And uh, I'm excited to see where it continues to go, I guess. So kind of what you're saying is that the entities or the, the spirits that were at the Sally house that kind of rocked us so hard. And yeah, you know, whether it's just frustration or not, it's 
got a real visceral feeling out of a lot of our team and people who've just listened to it. It's not a very positive reaction. Sure. In fact, it's very negative. Uh, people feeling sick and threatened and uh, just got to turn it off. But that was something that I connected where I was wondering what the connection was when I first heard Ed Primo's assessment saying, I didn't realize at that moment he was talking about two different things. He was saying, oh, you guys got similar things. And that got my mind to thinking it's kind of like yours and Steve's experiment where things can bounce around, they travel around. That's another thought about the Sally house is those, whatever's in there is mm-hmm. not permanent. They bounce around all over. They kind of come in and they come out. Is there something there? That's what I was wondering at that house that basically jumped over to your location and there's something else kind of connecting those dots. But what you're thinking is that ours was this kind of a separate isolated incident and whatever's kind of overviewing, seeing both of that is thinking, hey, you know what? These two incidents can be connected through Ed and the bigger message can be sent or shared. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, you both have spirits with you. I mean, you both have guides or spirits with you that are with you. They're not haunting you. They're not possessing you. They're there either as a family member or as a non-family member. That's a guide of some sort. Mostly everyone has that. And now you have a platform. I mean, you guys are reaching a quarter million people through your podcast. And, you know, your guys are doing really cool things. So there's power in that. And you guys aren't bad guys. It seems like you guys are very good guys. So, you know, there's probably something on the other side that is working for the good to try to link this together. And, and, and that would be, you know, my guess. There's a part of it that sounds like I picked out this whole sentence. No one else has yet. Other people have picked out various parts of it independent of me and emailed us or tweeted at us that they heard words from this sentence. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what this sentence is. This is not the Sally house, mother. Okay. This is my house. Get out of here. Okay. If some guy came into your house and starts walking around and recording and you're yelling at him and he's not hearing you, I mean, wouldn't you start to get a little angry? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you might even say, listen, mother get the f- out of my house, dude. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's not a monster. Right. Um, right. You know, and I don't think it's a demon. I, you know, there are those out there and, and we have protect me. There's ways to protect ourselves, but you know, we're just dealing with, I think people that don't want to go anywhere. They don't want to leave. I've done so many residential investigations and cases where there's someone at that house that doesn't want to leave. They wants the family out because they want the privacy of their home again. And they don't want to cross over. I mean, on a scientific level, you'd say that's nonsense. It sounds ridiculous. There's got to be another reason for that. But no, I mean, I, consciousness moves on. It goes on. It leaves our body. And, you know, I think it's points of light. I think we're all light. I love that idea, the, the points of light idea. And now that you mention it, Josh, it's occurring to me how many times I've actually heard EVPs or stories where people have communications that mention light. It's so fascinating. Well, man, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, guys. Yeah, I thank everyone. And if anyone wants to check me out, you know, Hope Paranormal White Light is the YouTube channel. HopeParanormal.com is the website with a new site coming. Patreon, patreon.com slash Hope Paranormal. So any of those things you could check me out on. And uh, I'd love to uh, show anyone that's interested. Thank you.
I am so sorry, man. I did not get my part of the outline done yesterday. <laughs> Seriously? Why not? Well, I was just too busy updating a ton of stuff on our website. There was like 50 patches we hadn't installed yet, and a few things about the design were out of whack, so I had to do some serious code jockey kind of stuff. Took all day. Okay, now I know you're full of it, because it's been so long since you even had to do anything on our website, you've forgotten we were with Squarespace, which means there are no patches, no upgrades, no installs, and no fixes ever. It's all magically done behind the scenes for us. Yeah, but I was like... Spending the entire day trying to put together that Lego Aston Martin. Maybe. (laughs) Well, my hand's off to you, man. What's it been like, uh, two months now in that thing? (laughs) Uh, But hey, look, everybody likes to build things, but websites typically aren't one of them. Save yourself the headaches and check out Squarespace, where they have a ton of beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Graphic designers, photographers, artists, writers, bloggers, record labels, and architects are just a few of the folks already using them. With award-winning customer service, a new way to buy domains with over 200 extensions to pick from, built-in analytics, and search engine optimization, you really can't go wrong. Squarespace is truly the ultimate partner for your business, giving you more time to do things like play with Legos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Head over to squarespace.com legends for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code legends to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com legends. Keep dreaming, but make it a reality with a website from Squarespace. Hi, this is Claire Toulis from the Netherlands, and when I'm out on my bike, I'm listening to Astonishing Legends. All right, so now you have that side of the story. And like I said, we talked to a lot of experts, and I'm sure that there's some people are going to be like, I don't know about this, but I want to say that Josh is an expert. He is an expert in the spiritual side of this stuff, and I believe very much in what he does and what he's doing. I've had a lot of communication with him over the past two months or so now, including when we initially talked to each other. And you heard him explain how that happened because basically Ed Primo connected us. And we had a long, long talk for a couple of hours, I don't know, about two months ago. And then it took us, we had to get through all of October before I got ready to actually interview him for our follow-up parts here that, that Forrest and I are working on right now. Josh is a really good guy. He's got a big heart. He's very welcoming and he, he gives off good energy to me. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I really enjoy talking to him. Whether or not I agree with all the theories he has, It doesn't matter because I respect him and I respect how he approaches things. And we thought it would be a good way to start out this dive into the EVP because for whatever expertise he has, one expertise he has well over ours is EVPs. He's been doing them forever on multiple platforms and analyzing them over and over and over again. We have done like three. (laughs) (laughs) One of them is crazy, but you know, actually two of them are crazy. I think nine and 10 are both crazy. But But here's the thing. He's got a lot of experience, years of it now, in collecting this evidence and collecting this data, analyzing, listening to EVPs. And part of his thing much like his good friend Steve Huff, when they go to do this collection and investigation, they put a spiritual connection to it that we don't have or did not have then. It's funny for us. I'm glad you said that because I was reading today as we were scanning through just our research and preparation experience is just such a mishmash. It's like a tornado of information. And I was going through these websites. Oh, we got to talk about this. We got to touch on that. And then, of course, I came across this one forum, and it's talking about the DR60 and how everybody that gets a DR60 hears a recording on it, and suddenly they're psychic, and some person, (laughs) it was a a post from like eight years ago where somebody had said, paranormal is dead. You know, everyone now- (laughs) Well, I I guess some part of it is. Yeah, (laughs) I know. It was, yeah, very cheeky, but- uh, Right. 
and everyone hears this and then they think they're psychic. And I'm like, oh, wait, am I doing that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm doing that. But, you know, Josh himself said that you and I had uh, spirits with us, you know, so that I was very hey. encouraged. I was like, ooh, that's good. Well, I'm not, I'm, hold on, I'm not getting ahead of myself, but yeah. we talked about, you know, when we say, oh, track eight, track nine, that means there are seven tracks that Scott got. In my house. In his house, just goofing around with this thing when we first got it, because of course that's what you want to do. It's a cool toy. He was goofing around. I heard them. I was here for a couple of them. We were just kind of uh, just sitting around and, and thought it'd be fun. And There might know, have been booze involved. There might have been booze involved. Drunken EVPs. We, that's we, our next show. That's our spinoff well, show. We're a lot more approachable that way, I suppose, and entertaining. But the idea was that we played them back and didn't, it's like, oh, well, maybe it doesn't work here. We didn't expect to get anything so in that case, we didn't really listen to it. Plus, it's on that tiny little speaker. You don't really pay attention. Like, oh, all right. Well, I don't know what we're expecting. Yelling, you yeah. know, screaming, maybe. Dark we didn't, we, we didn't know at that time. Yeah, red that's light, right. That's right. right. Yeah, something that's kind of uh, more uh, prominent. But when you find out that maybe you did get something, that changes your whole perspective because now that's in your house. But I wanted to say... You mentioning spirits being all around us. Well, that's nothing new. I, I believe Edgar Casey also said that they're, you know, he could see them. They're around us all the time. There's really nothing to be scared of. It's just a part of life and death. It's natural. Sometimes there's more of an incursion than we would like, or that is intended or allowed. And it happens from both sides. But it is nothing that is that out of the ordinary. They're around us all the time. And again, that's part of our world that we would like to ignore or deny. So now that you heard from Joshua Lewis, it's interesting to find out how we met Joshua. And the way that we got introduced to him was by Ed Primo. And he talks about how his recordings led him to send his DR60 to Ed Primo. And then we went down that path as well. Now, Ed Primo owns a company called Primo Forensics, and he is one of the premier audio forensic analysts in the country or a forensic audiologist. And I want to read a little bit here from his uh, webpage at primoforensics.com. That's P-R-I-M-E-A-U, Primo. Along with actively working on cases, Ed has consulted with the media on several notable cases. Some of the biggest cases include Trayvon Martin versus George Zimmerman, Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, and Laquan McDonald. Ed, along with JFK assassination researcher Bill Kelly, assembled and restored the Air Force One recordings from the day that JFK was assassinated. He also performed a voice identification on Susan Bennett, a voiceover actress, and was able to positively ID her as the voice of Apple's Siri. Yeah, she follows us on Twitter. Edward Primo is a registered investigator and certified forensic consultant with the American College Forensic Examiners Institute. He is a member of the International Association for Identification and Audio Engineering Society. Ed is also a member of the American Board of Recorded Evidence. So uh, that gives you an idea of his background and expertise. And one of the things that we did was we packed up and sent our rare DR60 to Primo Forensics and asked him to analyze all the files that were on it and get back to us with what he thought had made those recordings and try to determine if there was anything there that could be made out. Okay, I'm interrupting the show right here. What was supposed to happen here is that I was going to interview Ed about this investigation the two DR60s working on our stuff, working on Josh's stuff and all that, and he was totally ready to come on the show about it. Unfortunately, he had a medical emergency this past week, and it, it just didn't work out. Being the amazing person that he is, he stayed in touch with us throughout the week, continuing to try and push the interview to the weekend. He's out of the woods, and he's back home now, but he's still recuperating and understandably did not want to get on the phone today for an interview. And when I say today, I mean today, the day this show is being released. I am recording this pickup, or which is what we call additional material, 
at 3 p.m. on Sunday, November 11th, the day this show is coming out. However, we had a backup plan for Mr. Primo. You see, when he called us for the first time after checking out the DR60 in our recordings, I recorded that call with his permission, just so Forrest and I would have it for research and understanding. And today, when he and I were communicating via text, I said to him, hey man, since you're unavailable, do you think maybe we could use that first phone call you made to us that I recorded? He asked me to send him the audio of the call, which I did, and he went ahead and listened to it. He told me after that that it was totally fine if we wanted to use it. So <laughs> here come the caveats. I did not record this in an interview style. This was not an interview. This is a candid conversation between forensic audiologist Ed Primo and myself that took place after his initial investigation into our recorder and the files on it from the Sally House. I used an iPhone app called Tapacall to record this, and the quality is horrible, but Sarah's probably going to run it through RX to <laughs> clean it up or improve it, and you're going to learn all about RX tonight, so just file that away for now. But hopefully you'll be able to follow it. My family and I had just headed out to dinner, and I was sitting in my car talking to Ed while they had gone inside the restaurant to get a table. I would much rather play this conversation than put words in Ed's mouth about his investigation, so I was thrilled when he agreed to let us use this. Keep in mind that at this stage... We were halfway through the process and having a conversation about going further. So I'm going to play my call with Ed Primo of Primo Forensics for you guys now. All right, I'll give you the Reader Digest version. Wait, real quick. Can I re is it okay with you if I record this? Uh, I'd rather you just hang on and just let me tell you what, okay. where we are first. <clears throat> okay. And then let's hold off on anything else because I have a proposition to do another hour Okay. Because of what we've found so far. Okay. All right. Did Hang on you... one second then. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call you right back because I'm using an app on my phone. Now, if I recorded it, it was not used on the show. It was only for my co-host. Sure. I can, no, I that's can... fine. That's, that's okay. Fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. Then we'll let it roll. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead then. Okay. Um, did, you, did you see a blog post anywhere and contact me as a result of a blog post that you read? about this recorder? No, I saw, a YouTube, I did see a YouTube video for you. I was looking, I Googled forensic audiologists and uh, a couple of different companies came up and I thought I was going to have to reach out to several because I figured most people would laugh and hang up on me. So I, and then um, you had a YouTube video that popped up and I only watched the first maybe 20 or 30 seconds of it and you were talking about bias and uh, trying to stay, you know, uninformed yeah, about this. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It, and I was like, this is the guy. So that, And then I called you right after that. Okay. The reason I was asking is, the heck of a coincidence, I got another case in with the same recorder uh -huh. and a very similar sound with the same kind of sine wave. And let okay. me just briefly explain. If okay. you drew a horizontal line across a sheet of paper and you made an S, the S yes. would start and on, the, on the top of the line and it would go up and then it would come back down, <clears throat> kind of like an S laying on its side. Everything about the recording of you speaking has the appropriate positive and negative cycle for each okay. of the sine waves. The sound that's unknown doesn't. It has a very heavy north signal and a very low signal under the horizontal line. And that's the same as the other case that I have with the same type of sound. To my ear, 
and looking at the sine wave and the spectrum analysis of that sound. It's the same as the other case. And he did the same thing where he left it. Thank you guys very, very much. Have a great weekend. I'll see you next week. Okay. Yeah, I will. Thank you. So I'm further intrigued. And I talked to him, and I just hung up with him a short while ago. And he agreed to my proposition, and you could certainly talk to your partner, and I respect that. Um, I'd like to move another hour into this investigation because we tried to recreate distortion, which I, I originally thought when I found both of these that it was a transducer overload, which translates into loud volume being recorded by a microphone that couldn't handle it. Right. Based on my experience, that's how that sound would be created. Right. Um, I could not get the recorder to reproduce that type of a sound. Right. So I spoke to the other client in, in detail, and I don't want to keep you because I know you're with your family. No, no, no. They, they went in the restaurant. They knew this call was important, so you don't have okay. to rush. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I want to – what I'd like to do – I lost my thought. I had a thought there. I'd like to be able to, because I can't recreate it at this point, uh -huh. I'd like to do some further research and, of course, not open or disassemble the recorder, but rather research the electronics. He uh -huh. gave me, oh, I know what I was going to say. He gave me a great description on what he did, and he encouraged me to try to be able to do the same thing. Sure. With the settings on the recorder at the optimum settings from his success. Right. And I suspect your recorder won't be any different other than um, I think his was newer and yours was a little bit more used. Otherwise, he sent the same model to you, a DR60. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With recordings on there that had the same sounds that yours did. Which were, I, this might seem like an absurd question, but they're not from the same location, right? He's in Florida. You were in Kansas City. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So Panasonic concluded that it was a defective something, resistor, capacitor, transistor, in the electronics of that recorder, which is why they discontinued it. Did we you confirm that? that? No, I knew there's been some rumors about that, right? And uh, I don't think I ever found it pin pinpointed to that uh, degree of preciseness, no. We couldn't either, and which is why I'd like to take – I mean, you could talk to him and then get back to Audrey or Taylor. Tyler, uh, oh, my gosh, I'm having a day. <laughs> and let Tyler know if you decide you want to move with another hour. What's the rate for another hour? 375 That's fine. I can green like that. He won't have a problem with that. Because i got to figure this out. Now we've got two recorders in-house at the same time with very, very similar. And when I say similar... Yeah. The only difference is the duration and the and the number. Yours yours are more frequent and various durations. His right. are single and fairly consistent length, although I haven't gone in and measured them to that extent. Duration. And he even made a video of himself recording the sounds on his recorder. Which right. you know, I've seen some illusionists that are pretty good, so I told him I wanted to take that video out of the equation. But he sat there and talked into this recorder, and then he remained silent, and then he played it back, and his voice was reproduced, and the sound was there, and we didn't hear the sound while he was recording it. Did you listen to both Files 9 and File 10? 
I listen to all ten of yours. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I, as a matter of fact, everything on your recorder has been digitized. Okay. Everything on the other client's recorder has been digitized as well. So I have versions of the recordings that I can look at it look at in a spectrogram. Great. And listen to. <clears throat> And the recorders are both back in their packaging and safe in our lab. Do you feel that it is, uh, I mean, aside from the sine wave analysis, do you feel like there is the cadence of a conversation in there? I can't pick up any dialogue at all. He asked me the same question. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was more convinced that there were words in there, and I can't identify any formants. I can hear, <laughs> you know, I can hear sounds like that, but I can't identify any formant. A formant is an ingredient in being able to identify speech. It's part of how the voice, when it's recorded, is reproduced. Okay. And so there's none of those in there, but there is rhythmic sounds of that unidentified sound that could purportedly be a word, but no, I have not been able to identify that. And I don't think that's worth chasing right now. I'm okay. more interested in understanding how that sound is getting on that recorder and recreating it and researching the electronics of those recorders and maybe even contacting Panasonic and doing a little bit more research like that. That's what I'm thinking the next step is. You, so you're, what you're trying to determine is the possibility of whether the recorder is producing this in two different locations because of the nature of its construction or whether it's coming from some sort of outside source. Correct. Okay. And, and I also want to try to do it myself. I'm going to try to do similar tests as well and right. see if the reporter will capture I've called it vapor to the other client. I want uh-huh. to know if they're if it's getting sound from vapor kind of like the way these happened at the same time almost because you yours came in just a few days after the first clients came in. Right. right. And when I went into the lab to talk to Audrey and say, Hey, what do we got today? We had both of those side by side, so we captured everything at the same time, put it in two separate folders like we do when we've got multiple clients, uh-huh. and tried to recreate the sounds today with car horns, yelling into it, trying to distort the microphone, and uh-huh. it was not recreating it like those sounds were. And um, were you uh, – were you? did you do – I can't remember the name of the preset, but did you, did you even run like the RX – dialogue recovery preset on it to, to strip out the because when we did that one like i mean it was a default preset but we did that one rx default uh i can't remember it was dialogue something and it did sound more like talking but that's when i kind of was asking you in the first conversation about whether or not rx was m- making that happen as opposed to it re- revealing something yeah you know, there's so- a there's a thing called psychoacoustics that'll play games with your mind if you believe you're hearing something you could right. actually convince yourself. So no, we have not opened these files in RX at all okay. yet. Okay. Because I'm more interested in the sine wave, the way I just described it to you. Yeah. That's a that's a phenomenon that's scientific yeah. and I can't recreate it. So what I want to do is I want to spend more time trying to recreate that sine wave. Right. Okay. Well those uh those recorders are available on eBay. Feel free to pick one up. <laughs> yeah, I noticed them. I want to take that sucker apart is what I want to yeah, do. I know. Start doing some measurements, but, you know, for three grand or $1,500, I don't feel yeah. lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just to let you know, I'm committed to answering this question. You know, how did this happen? Where did it come from? And yeah. And we'll get closer to that 
with another hour, and then I'll have a plan at that point. We'll decide what we want to do. Okay, that sounds great, Ed. Thank you very, very much. Hey, you're welcome, Scott. It's my pleasure. I'll um I'll be back in touch with you. Give me till like maybe next Wednesday or Thursday, and I'll be back in touch. Okay, that sounds great. All right, thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Yep. You too. Bye. Okay, so Ed, I know you're going to listen to tonight's show, and I just want to thank you again so much for allowing us to share that call with our listeners, and we hope you'll be feeling better soon. We would still love to have you on in the future uh, when you get back on your feet. Uh, Everybody, please send Mr. Primo some good vibes. All right, so I just want to say a few things about what happened after this. Again, I'm picking this up the day the show is going out. Forrest isn't over here in Blanket Fortiana today, so I'm going it alone for this little section. But what I wanted to point out here is that as you heard, I said okay to doing another hour of investigation on this to see if we could get further into what File 10 has on it. And here's what happened with that. After a few days, Ed called me back and said something to the effect, well, we just couldn't get any further with this. We were unable to reproduce the sounds you have on those recordings, and as a result, I'm going to refund you guys the last hour of work we did on it, and we're just going to go ahead and send the recorder back to you. Honestly, I was pretty amazed that that happened. That was followed by an email from a forensic technician at his shop, Audrey, that said the following. Good afternoon, Scott. Uh, Following our conversation today, you confirmed interest in sharing your information with our other client who had such a similar case. His name is Josh Lewis, and then she gave me his email. I'll be sending him an email as well, where I will share your email address with him, and you can both connect from there. It is unfortunate that we were unable to do any more research or analysis that held more scientific support, especially with how intriguing these cases are. Ed will be in contact with you within the next couple of weeks regarding his decision on the interview you proposed. Also, I will have my case manager, Taylor, Repackage your recorder and cord because we sent him that we sent them the cable that uh, John Bowen's engineer made for us just to digitize from. Repackage your recorder and cord so it can be shipped back to you safely. I will have her forward you the shipping details with that. Lastly, I will make sure you are refunded the 375. If you have any questions in the meantime, let me know. All right, so there you have it. You've heard from one of the premier forensic audiologists in the country about his findings. When we were texting today, I asked him what his conclusion statement would be about his investigation into our recordings. And he essentially said, I could not recreate the sounds you have on those recordings, and I cannot find a scientific explanation for them. One of the things that Ed talked about was how he did not want to run it through RX. Now, I want to explain a little bit about what RX is, just in case you didn't fully understand it. RX is a plugin. For people who don't know what plugins are, if you have a program that edits video or audio or, well, the plugins apply to all kinds of programs, actually, but essentially it's like a third-party offering that enhances the program you're already using to do creative work on your media. Yeah, you could have a plugin for Google Chrome that, that helps you edit or maybe download YouTube clips, whatever it is. It's an additional piece of software. So what you're saying, though, is RX does not stand alone. It's not like Audacity it's meant to be plugged in to another program, right? right? And Pro Tools, which like we use, is one of the programs that you can do that. And it is an intensely powerful third-party plugin. Right. RX has so much power. There's so many things you can do with it. And it comes from a company called Isotope. And that's not Isotope. It's Isotope. They've changed the S to a Z. It's a capital Z. A lot of people, I think, in audio post-production would consider RX almost wizardry. It is unbelievable what it is capable of. And we've purchased it, but it's going to take me a long time to learn it. But Mm. I've gotten comfortable enough with File 10, even though I said, I know I was like, I don't want to listen anymore. But I have to say, I can't (laughs) tell you how cathartic doing the second part of the Sally House was. It it helped me move past all the hangups 
I'm not saying that I want I'm going to go to bed every night and listen to that recording, but right. I'm comfortable enough that I think periodically I can go back and maybe analyze it. And I'm going to learn how to use RX from Isotope and Pro Tools and see what else we can get out of that clip and maybe even be able to start processing EVPs for other folks who send them in to us. Yeah, That's see, what I'd like you'll, to be able to do. You'll soon be that guy in the movies that people take I'll their be the guy. Yeah. Yes. This, You're the audio this guy. This is not human. So like, This is out of the human range. I want to read a little bit about Isotope from their webpage here. At Isotope, we're obsessed with great sound. Our intelligent audio technology helps musicians, music producers, and audio post engineers focus on their craft rather than the tech behind it. We design award-winning software, plugins, hardware, and mobile apps powered by the highest quality audio processing, machine learning, and strikingly intuitive interfaces. Isotope, the shortest path from sound to emotion. So here's what I want to say about this. In terms of understanding what RX does, I mean, you heard Ed talk about it a little bit, but I want to be real clear about it. It's designed to recover dialogue that's usually lost or damaged due to some screw up some sound guy made on a shoot or in a recording session for like an out for the next Fleetwood Mac album or whatever. Right. I'm making a, re a really, I'm, I'm old. I'm referring to <laughs> no, Fleetwood we, Mac. We've but, already used it actually yeah. for the Flan and Isles episode where we were talking to author and investigator Keith McCloskey and one of our computers dinged. That's right. And it was used to remove the ding in between, uh, which was going over the dialogue. Yeah, it's pretty amazing because it, it makes use of something called a spectrograph. And what it does is it shows you a visual image of the sound. And you can see, it's almost like that scene in The Matrix where you see all the code. And, and he says, well, I just see a steak or a beautiful woman, whatever. The point is, when you look at the spectrograph, you see all the sound waves. And when there's a ding like that, you can single it out. And you just kind of circle it like you're using Photoshop yeah. and hit delete or whatever. And RX makes it go away. Yeah. And then you play it back and it sounds great. And yeah. you, um, of course, there's a billion parameters you can adjust or whatever. Now I'm on the Isotope newsletter. I get these emails about some famous album where the tambourine went was bleeding into the other mic and they removed it. Yeah. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that it does. But it also does dialogue recovery. Right. And that's a little bit what Ed was talking about, the dangers of using that on something like this, where we're not even sure it's dialogue in the first place. So we decided that we would contact Isotope directly and ask them about this file. And I did that through their website. I wasn't even sure they would write us back. I sent an inquiry and I just said, we have a ghost recording. I was just like, I'm just going to come out with it. <laughs> it's a ghost. Yeah, yeah. And we're, we're trying to figure out what it's saying, if anything. And I got a pretty fascinating email back from a tech support representative at Isotope. His name is Dominic, and he gave me permission to use his name. I'm going to read through the series of emails that I exchanged with them, but the, I want to start with actually the last one he sent, giving me permission to read the email to our listeners. Please note that this email is just my initial unbiased take on this recording and not necessarily the only interpretation or the only correct answer in cases where the audio is inconclusive. I want to highlight that my email does not represent any particular views of the company or myself. It is just what I was able to understand and conclude from the audio example given. I personally wish there was clearer audio to make a more accurate assessment here, but I would not be afraid to have your engineer keep digging and experimenting with the audio to see if there is another way to go about analyzing it. Rx is such an extensive program that there are often 10 ways to do any single task in there and arrive at a result. Thanks again for reaching out. Sincerely, Dominic, Isotope Customer Care. So I just want to read how this whole exchange started, if you'll bear with me for a second. 
Here's what I wrote to him initially. I have a strange question about how RX works. I am not seeking proprietary information, but I'm trying to determine if a strange recording that I made in a haunted house that seems to present dialogue after being run through RX is actually presenting dialogue. I want to determine if RX or the algorithms within it can create dialogue when none is there. Meaning if we think we hear dialogue in this recording, is it real? I would love to talk to a technician about this. And then I went on to say who I was and named the podcast. Dominic wrote me back pretty quickly. Thanks for contacting us and for supporting Isotope. I personally heard this happen before when working with another digital forensic analyst. We often have government and police analysts reach out about certain cases where this can happen with certain digital audio and degraded recordings. The human brain is a really funny thing. If there are enough artifacts in the audio due to overprocessing certain frequencies, one can sometimes hear voices in audio that are not really there. That being said, usually they sound garbled and will almost never sound like any word. If you would like to send your recording along, I'd be happy to give it a listen and provide any insight. So I did send the recording to him. I told him that it was in an empty room. I didn't say anything about the DR60. I just said it was a digital recorder. And so I sent him a Dropbox link for that. He then wrote back, Thanks for getting back to us. This is quite a tough clip to analyze here. The leveled clip, even if that is close to the original recording, has audio dropouts, compression artifacts, and other issues going on with the signal. Something definitely interfered with your recording. I just want to reread that expression. Something definitely interfered with your recording. There are huge areas of static as well as indication of amplified electrical broadband noise as seen in the lower and upper parallel bands at times. The best bet here is interference from a walkie-talkie, radio station, or something else with an amplifier slash broadcast capability. Most of the sounds that come in during those periods are not intelligible and have a higher noise ratio or total noise origin. After running dialogue isolate and voice denoise, it is easy to get the noise to mimic sounds of voices, as I explained in my last email. The only place I had trouble telling for sure was towards the end, right before you talk about opening the door to go back in. There is definitely audio signal there that may contain vocals. I'm going to repeat that. There is definitely audio signal there that may contain vocals. Whether this is from devices you own or external, there is trace evidence of vocal signals towards the end before you begin talking. The main thing here as to why I think it is external interference is the noise ratio, the presence of external low and high frequency hums slash interference and the randomness of it. Voices typically follow a pattern of sorts with meter, non-jerky pauses and fluctuations. Most of these sounds in between your voice intro and outro bookends do not exhibit these human characteristics and appear to cut in and out at random much like when a car is leaving the area of a radio station and the voices cut in and out as the signal changes. I really enjoyed taking a look into your case today. Much like the show The X-Files and their unresolved cases, I don't have enough substantial evidence to say what exactly is going on here, but you did pick up some strong signal with traces of voices from somewhere. Unfortunately, I don't believe there is much more cleaning to make it more intelligible due to the high noise and signal interference as picked up by this recorder. I will let you decide what may have happened here in this recording. Due to the nature of this recorder and the recording quality, any heavy dialogue isolation or noise processing will introduce artifacts and leave behind noise that does fall into the vocal register as it tries hard to locate a vocal signal. While the majority of this may be a false positive, I am almost certain 
you have picked up radio interference in places. If you have questions or concerns, please let me know. I'd be happy to help. Firstly, Dominic, in case you ever actually listen to this, I do want to say thank you so, so much for taking so much time to really dig into this and give us a thoughtful and complete answer. All right. So now I did invite Dominic to call, but he did that customer service thing where it's like, we're not allowed to call out. <laughs> right. And so, uh, but I did read his disclaimer. That's the interchange that I had with these guys. And they are the masters of this kind of software. Now, a couple of things you're going to pick up on in that entire interchange is that he says there's definitely vocals there. Yeah. His bet is on radio interference. But he also said that running RX can introduce artifacts that will sound vocal. Right. The other thing he said is humans don't talk like that. Well. I'm just going to say, and what I've learned about EVPs, <laughs> yeah. that you're not looking for normal human cadence anyway. Right. And as you said earlier, that's a function possibly of the voice activation. Right. That it appears staccato. It's kind of bursts of words. Right. And what he did not know, and I did not make clear to him, and I, I wasn't trying to keep him in the dark, I actually forgot to point it out, and I actually was hoping for a chance to speak to him on the phone that didn't happen was he did not know that it was voice activation and right. stopping and starting whenever it wanted. So that would add a different dimension to it. I had sent him an email and said, can you call me? And he, and he was like, no, I'm not allowed to call. <laughs> right. So I would have said that to him and asked him more questions about it. But we wanted you guys to have this information because if you take what Ed Primo said, I mean, go all the way back to where we're at right now. You take what Josh said about the spiritual nature of this. Take what Ed Primo said about the scientific nature and the analysis of this and all that stuff he said about the sound waves and then not wanting to run it through RX. And now let's talk to the guys at RX about whether or not RX can create these sounds. And the reason that we wanted to do that was because we had our friend John Bolin, who does all the opening announcements for our show, the sponsorship announcements. He is a professional mixer and a longtime friend of mine that I've known from the commercial world forever. And he's the one that originally one of his engineers created the cables that allowed us to digitize this stuff into Pro Tools, our audio software. And John did run RX on file 10, and what came out of it kind of surprised us. So we're going to go ahead and play that for you here now. So this is file 10, but it's had RX's dialogue isolate run on it. With all the disclaimers, as Dominic told you, it's going to try and make voices or whatever it's going to do. But we thought it was interesting what file 10 sounded like when a rudimentary, by John Boland's own admission, a rudimentary application of Dialogue Isolate was applied to it. So we're going to play that for you right now. Okay, file 10. I'm putting this down. I'm going to leave this here for about five minutes. If there's anything you want to say, any message you would like to share with the world, leave it on this recorder, and we will share it. Leaving now, closing the door. No one else is in this room at this time.
There's a lot of things about that that freak me out. After, you know, talking to Isotope, yes, we know they're looking for dialogue. The program is, I guess, putting dialogue in there. But I want to remind everyone, in the middle of that file, you have me at the beginning saying, I'm going to make a recording. Me coming back saying, thank you. You know, in the middle of that, there is no one in that room. There are no people in that room. And what John did our friend who's a mixer and it's been a while and we, we actually recorded our session with him, but there's just been so much material to go through. We can go back and talk exactly about it if we wanted to, but the long and short of it is I'm pretty sure he did a, a noise reduction pass on it with our ex where it went through and it looked at all the, the screaming yeah. and it did its best to eliminate that. Then what was left behind was this stuff that seemed more like it might be vocalizations. I'm not saying he said that. I'm saying that that was Forrest and I's opinion. He then additionally applied the dialogue isolate, which is a built-in preset in mm-hmm. RX, Isotope's third-party plugin for Pro Tools, as well as other digital audio editing software. And so he put the dialogue isolate on that. So there's a noise reduction and this. So that's why the screaming is all gone. There's none of that. Ah, yeah, that's been removed. Right. And then something has been left behind. And then it's trying to make words out of what's been left behind. Again, all that stuff you're hearing that's like, uh, like uh, yeah, that is coming out of whatever was underneath all that other noise. Yeah. From an empty room. I want to remind everyone it's an empty room. Now, yeah, I know we people were not are, outside the room either. We were downstairs. We were downstairs. In another part of the house. I know everybody's still thinking about radio interference, and we're going to address that here coming up, but there was nobody in there. To me, I hear garbled conversation. Yeah. And here's the part that really freaks me out about it. Because the first time I heard this, I heard it in John's room at his mixing facility where he works, and I I thought, Oh, well, that's strange. But then when I heard it on headphones and I started listening to it, there was something about it that really stood out to me that still gives me the goose flesh feeling. Mm. I've gotten past file tent because we've had to listen to it so much now. I'm getting past being able to listen to it personally. But the thing that's freaking me out now (laughs) is that these voices that are left behind, even though you can't understand what they're saying, to me, it sounds like you and me talking, Forrest. I hear intonations that sound like myself yeah. and like you. Right. And we were not in the room. No. It, you, you know, it's the zip file, which we're going to talk about the zip file theory. <laughs> yeah. But what is that? And the weird thing about that is, is it aligns with things we've learned since we started this series from talking to other people, including Joshua Lewis mm-hmm. and other people and, and digging into research on EVPs and the idea that... There's some mimicry going on, or we talked about them needing the clay. They need some kind of noise to make the sounds. It's like, we're not hearing a communication, if you believe any of this at all, from the other (laughs) side. This is only occurring to me just now. It's like a Star Trek thing. It's being beamed up and beamed down. And the question is, is there a continuous connection between point A and point B, or is it just being reassembled on the other end? And for me, it feels like it's being reassembled on the other end, made up out of electricity or air or interference, if you want to say that. 
And not only that, some of the clay it's using to try and send its messages are the sounds of our own voices. Certainly as sound as any other thing I've heard, which, you know, there's all kinds of, uh, let's say, explanations that are from the practical, I hope it's this world, let's say that. People are suggesting you're hearing radio signals bouncing off the ionosphere or the ice sheet and the polar ice caps. There's something happening there or it's a radio signal that's interfering with that. And that's what you're hearing is radio chatter. And in a sense, you can kind of get that from this pass of RX, but we do kind of hear the tonal qualities of our own voices a little bit. And I guess when you're saying it's ending up on this recording, it's like, well, how's it getting there? Because again, we are downstairs, we're talking quietly. This recorder, which does not pick up stuff very well, is by itself in a room. It can barely pick me up when I'm in the room with it. Yeah, the you, only reason you can you hear he that. Yeah. The only reason you hear me clearly here is because we mixed the volume on the part where I'm talking up. Right. If you heard it originally, I'm like way off in the distance. Yeah. I'm in the room and I'm making a recording. We brought that up so that the listeners could hear it. That right. was the only change we made to that initial file 10 when we played it at the end of part two. And just now, this particular RX pass on file 10 that John Boland did is mixed so yeah. that the levels are even. But if you could hear it normally, you wouldn't even be able to hear me in the room. Yeah, exactly. And we were all the way down, the room was closed and we were downstairs in another part of the house. Well, that's part of what Carpeted I Carpeted house, by the way. Exactly. So that's part of my grouping of explanations and that, that feeling that is part of the, the real world and the possible and not the woo-woo is that somehow it's getting signals of voice from somewhere else that's interfering with the recording. It's ending, that's what's ending up in the recorder. And along with that, then it has to be picking up our voices from somewhere else. That's the realm of the possible, because the impossible is that somehow this is being tapped in from the spirit world. Now, if you go to the other side of explanations, which is the spiritual side, that uh, somehow there is a, an omniscience there. It's like, how are our voices being heard from the other side? And what's the membrane there? Well, it's kind of like, I see it this way, it's another side of the mirror, and they're on the other side of the mirror, the spirit world, and they can still see and hear us, where we only see what's being reflected back at us. They're in the liminal world, the penumbral world, where there is no space or time. They're able to hear us, and somehow that's echoing back and maybe getting on the recording. You know, if you want to go to crazy town in that respect, then... Oh, uh, we're the mayor of crazy yeah, town. We're, getting, we're just visiting. We're just visiting. <laughs> no, we no, no, no. We have no affiliation. in. We're the mayor. It goes back to that saying I'd heard in an episode of Jim Harold's Campfire, on a couple of occasions, at least two, where I made a note of it, there have been occasions where people have described seeing some kind of otherworldly entity. One was like a ghost specter kind of a thing coming down the hall and resonating this booming voice. This is like during a Christmas overnight stay with a bunch of family, and it's kind of this old rental house. And it sounded kind of, it's a weird sound like that. Like it's booming, lots of bass, like unnatural. And it's coming down the stairs and it says, oh my love, what a mirror image we are. And then this is way back when, before we had the podcast, I'm listening again, a couple months later, there's a story from a woman who's napping on the couch and she looks up and above the ceiling, it looks like she's underwater. Like there's a pool of shimmering water, like sun reflecting down and it's growing on the ceiling as if there's a bubble, as if she's underwater. And there's, you know, imagine that there's a bubble near the ceiling. And she also hears, oh my, what a mirror image we are, or something to that effect. It sounds like a tool video. <laughs> well, it could, <laughs> it could be inspiration for a lot of that stuff. But the idea is that there's another side of the mirror, and somehow we are able to be seen and heard 
on the other side, and maybe that's what this thing captured. All right, well, before we move on, I just want to play file 10 again with the RX Pass one more time, if you guys had the stomach for it, and I want you this time to listen and see if you can hear what sounds like Forrest and I hidden in there somewhere. Okay, file 10, I'm putting this down, and leave this here for about five minutes. If there's anything you want to say, any message you would like to share with the world, leave it on this recorder, and we will share it. Leaving now, closing the door. No one else is in this room at this time. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention the weird voice yelling, this is mine. That's in there. <laughs> or, sure you guys heard that, yeah. right? Or or Sally. There's a or sharp, Sally. There's a sharp word that's like Sally. Or uh, yeah, yeah. Again, it's hard to pick out. It is hard to pick out. And then I guess we can't trust it. I mean, if you listen to Dominic at Isotope, it's, oh, it's going to make up words. But yeah. And I mean, he's at the company that made the program, but I'm still like, I don't think this is just an algorithm. I mean, I get the... Well, we heard I mean, stuff in there before we ran at the Rise Yes, yes. We could hear stuff in there. Now, yeah. again, some people don't. And that's perfectly fine. If you don't hear it, that is your opinion that you can have. To my ears, it definitely sounds like there are words buried in there, but they're unintelligible until you kind of, in your own mind, run your own isotope RX program in your head, and you kind of try to form that those sounds into words. And then some of it makes sense because here's another part of it. It's a contextual thing in that these words sometimes sound like answers to the questions we're asking. You know what's really changed my life? Going to bed early? <laughs> no, not having to go to the grocery store very often anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, since we both started using Blue Apron, I've not had to do that either. It is truly a game changer. 
Also, having to figure out what to fix to eat for my family is dunzos. Now I just pick from the Blue Apron recipes instead of freezing up like a deer in the headlights and doing my five millionth Taco Tuesday. Mm. Plus, my son's been trying out all kinds of new foods that he never would have had before. Now that is an accomplishment. Oh, he still complains, but the difference is as soon as he's had his first bite of a Blue Apron meal, he's a convert. Between all that and skipping meal planning, I've had more time for my family and I get the pleasure of cooking meals for all of us too. So it's a win-win. More free time, less decisions to make, and I get to cook in insanely delicious chef-designed recipes with fresh, seasonally-inspired ingredients that have been delivered right to my door. Uh, some of those recipes being ready in as little as 20 minutes. Yeah, that's pretty great. You know, the ingredients are pre-portioned, so there's very little waste, and they send you just what you need to make your meal. And they offer a range of recipes bursting with flavor. Plus, you can make a choice between easy meals or a full culinary cooking experience because Blue Apron lets you choose from a range of recipe options. You can choose recipes based on your schedule. Some nights I know I'll have a little more time, so I'll make something more complex and other nights I'll opt for the quicker meal. Every week, at least three recipes are built with your busy schedule in mind, where Blue Apron has done the meal prep for you, meaning they've prepared the sauces, spices, and ingredients. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com astonishing. That's blueapron.com astonishing to get your first three meals free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Okay, so you know how last time we were talking about Bombas socks and I said a pet peeve of mine was when the heel of a sock gets bunched up in your shoe. Yeah, so uh, did you get peeved? <laughs> well, it happened, and I almost got a blister. Ha, you must not have been wearing your Bombas. <laughs> no, I wasn't, and that was the problem. See, I ran out of clean Bombas socks and had to resort to wearing an old pair of work socks that were clearly too big for my feet. One sock bunched up at my heel, and with just the walking out to my car from the studio and then walking from my car to my house... I started to get a sore spot on the side of my heel, that dreaded precursor to the blister. Oh man, I hate it when that happens. But that doesn't happen with Bombas, because Bombas socks are engineered. They're not just a bunch of fabric lashed together like most socks. Bombas have what they call stay-up technology, where 133 tension levels were tested to find the perfect tension that helps their socks stay in place while not being too loose, all while delivering comfort and not delivering marks or sore spots. Oh, I know. That, that's the first thing you notice when you put them on. They completely conform to the shape of your foot, but aren't too tight. The toes and heels are exactly where they should be. The problem I had with the socks I was wearing is that the footbed was too bulky, so that extra fold of cotton in the heel was giving me the problems. And Bombas arch support system, along with their cushioned footbed, gives you that extra support where you need it most and the comfort your feet deserve. Yeah, it's like a warm and supportive hug for your feet all day long. Ah, well, since we can't <laughs> hug all our listeners like we'd love to, we can at least send their feet a hug with this terrific offer. Get 20% off your first order by going going to bombas.com slash A-L. That's right. Go to bombas, that's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com, and use offer code A-L, and you'll get 20% off your first order. Once again, that's bombas.com slash A-L, and use offer code A-L. Hi, I'm Brendan Kordoff, and you're listening to Astonishing Legends with Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Now... Let's get back to the show. All right. So on that note, we are going to go now to our interview with Dave Fisk. When he comes in, you're going to hear about how he came to our show and why we're talking to him. He is an expert in dialogue editing, and he has a professional opinion 
on the nature of what we're hearing in file 10, and we're talking about the original natural file 10, not the RX version, talking about the original version of file 10, which is at the end of part two, what his take is on the types of sounds that are coming through there. And once you hear him talk, you're gonna understand why his opinion about it is significant and should be respected. We're on the phone here with Dave Fisk, who reached out to us after he heard Sally House Part Two. He's a relative newcomer to Astonishing Legends, but we are so glad that he got in touch with us. Dave, can you say hello and maybe tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your experience, what you do for a living? Well, I started uh, my career back in 2001. I lived in LA, was doing sound design, a lot of dialogue editing for video games, TV shows, indie movies. I've done a lot of field recording. So going out in the field and recording sound effects for these video games, TV shows, and movies. And then I've gotten onto the manufacturing side of things in the latter years here and uh, have a deeper understanding of how things work, how electronics work and that sort of stuff than I used to. So how many years have you been in business? I guess 17 now, 17 years. Yeah, I graduated school in 2001. Moved out to L.A. and started doing stuff September of 2001 and been doing it ever since. Okay, so that's a pretty good while. And what would you say now is your current area of expertise? Well, right now, what I'm doing is I work for a company where we manufacture audio products for recording studios. So high-end microphones, mic pre's, other outboard gear is what I'm doing now. I still dabble in sound design and a little bit every now and again just for fun. But a lot of my time is taken up on the manufacturing side. Okay. When we talked the other day, you also indicated that you have an extensive background in field recording for professional shoots and that sort of thing and, and video games as well. Yeah. So I kind of just fell into my lap because I spent some time working on the retail side for a company that sold rent and serviced production sound equipment. So because I knew the gear and when I had first moved to LA, I was interning at a place called Dane Tracks, and they did the sound design for like the Matrix movies and stuff like that. When I was there, they would have us interns go out and like we were recording stuff for the second Matrix movie, for example. Oh, cool. And I just kind of took to it and, you know, you meet the heavy hitters. And then as time goes on, when I started doing stuff with Technicolor, they were like, oh, you know, so-and-so, we're going to be recording cars for this EA game you want to come out and work on that. You know the gear, you know the people. Yeah, so I just started doing lots of that. Because of my background with the equipment, I started doing production dialogue recording on mocap sessions for video games. Which is motion capture for the for the layman out there. Right. A lot of people have seen like the behind the scenes on Avatar and like those types of movies where they're wearing a tight bodysuit. It's got the reflective balls on it and, and all that kind of stuff. Because I had my production audio background, I was able to go in there and, and record that stuff. And so I became very familiar with how radio frequencies work, how equipment is susceptible to RF interference, professional gear, prosumer gear, consumer quality gear, and, and that kind of stuff. And here's something that's interesting to me. Obviously, you've heard episode two of The Sally House. What did you think when you first heard that recording? And you can go ahead, by the way, and tell our audience that you mistook the unit we were using because there's two units referred to as DR60s. Go ahead and explain what you thought when you first heard it and then maybe the difference between the Tascam and the Panasonic the early 90s Panasonic yeah. digital recorder we were actually yeah. using. So I, I went back and listened again, and I heard you, I did hear you say on the second listening Panasonic. The first time I heard DRC, as for me, it's all about model numbers. 
you know, I can rattle model numbers all day long off of different pieces of gear. So when I heard DR60, I was like, oh, I know that. I have one and I've used it a ton. And when I first heard it, I was like, what did they do? This is not a recording I would have gotten on my DR60D by Tascam. But just listening to the audio itself, it was pretty disturbing. I was like, wow, this is very heavily distorted, which in my world means the acoustic signal generating that had to have been extremely loud. That was my very first gut reaction. And then I listened to it over and over again as long as I could, because it's so heavily distorted with headphones on after a while. It's just like, you got to give your ears a break. And uh, the more I listen to it, the more it's like, okay, I hear the distortion, but underneath that, I can hear something else going on. There's a voice, there's something happening in there. Based just on that alone, I couldn't tell you what it was, but a signal was getting in there somehow. So yeah, like the DR60D by Tascam that I'm very familiar with, it doesn't have a built-in microphone. What you guys were using, the Panasonic unit from the 90s, I guess, is when it was made. You know, it's a digital, it's a little handheld digital voice memo recorder, very low fidelity. Even when you're talking, you can hear the artifacts on your voice. The artifacts is all the stuff that sounds really high frequency tinkly. Right. A good example is you can take a music file that you know and compress it really heavily into a really low quality MP3. All the high frequency stuff like drum cymbals or vocals or guitars, you hear this weirdo tinkly stuff at the top. And it's because it's removing bits out of the bit stream. You're removing data and it's, that's what makes it sound like that. So back in the early 90s, like a lot of that digital recording on those small recorders was in its infancy. So the technology to do the high fidelity recording at low cost that we have now didn't exist then. But once I saw what the recorder was that you were using, I was like, oh, okay, and started looking into it. And some of the files that you sent over, I listened to, you can hear RF interference. That's just RF getting into it. And then I'm like, oh, this is really susceptible to RF. And so when people say that the Panasonic DR60 is the preferred recorder of choice for getting EVPs, it's like, well, yeah, but the thing is so lo-fi that even casually spoken dialogue gets distorted and can be hard to understand. RF getting into it, whether it's just standard RF that sounds like white noise or if you pick up a radio frequency can really heavily distort it. And some of the audio, other audio files I listened to, you know, I could hear, it's where there's four of you in the room and you're talking and there's some like EVPs that get picked up in the middle of what you're saying. And it sounds like it's responding to what you're saying. But in that sort of context, it didn't sound as threatening to me. I'm like, oh, okay, now that I know that, if I go back and listen to the other one, the longer one, that's like a minute and 40 something seconds, I have a little bit more context to it. And so I wouldn't say it's not an EVP, but I also wouldn't say it's not interference from something else. What you're saying here essentially is that, one, something is getting into the machine, let's say. There is a, an input of audio being formed that is obviously getting into the recorder either as interference or somebody has to be in the room. It would be auditory in the room that we would have to hear it to end up that loud on the recorder. Right. And what makes me think it's interference is because the one file where 
it's the four of you in the room. You guys are talking, and stuff's getting picked up on that recorder, but nobody is reacting to it. So that right. tells me nobody's hearing that. So it's either some sort of radio frequency interference, could right. be from a variety of different sources, or it could be an actual EVP. It's tough because it sounds like it's responding. You can't understand what it's saying. Right. It's just mangled distortion. But when it pops up, it's like, well, you know, I think, Scott, you said, like, you, do you have a name or something like that? Like, you just hear this burst of some sort of response, and it's like, huh. It just makes you go, hmm. Right. So what you're saying is that it's more likely since, I can tell you, we, I was in there, and none of us heard anything other than total silence, us standing there in a normal house with no one else in it, no street noise, no railroad noise from far off, no train tracks no planes, nothing. It's a real quiet neighborhood that we're in, a very old neighborhood. So uh, there's really no traffic. We didn't hear anything in the room. What Scott and I are noticing is that now we really do hear what sound like distinct words. And to your point earlier, they sound like responses to what we're asking. And so to me, there's also a contextual component here where it's not just random chatter that you're picking up from a radio, that's somebody else's conversation. In context, it sounds like answers to what we're posing as questions. Getting back to that, uh, we're now going to go through, kind of go through the different possibilities that people have brought up to us that uh, we were also aware of. Like We had a talk the other day about it being, the possibility of it being a baby monitor. And then we were talking about how these days they all seem to be digital. And you were explaining to me how that would work and then what it would sound like if it might have interfered with the recorder. Right. So it's been a while since I've used a baby monitor. My youngest boy is now 10. So now when it says digital, you know, is it a digital transmission? Is it an analog transmission of a digital signal? If it's an analog transmission of a digital signal and that was getting into the recorder, you wouldn't hear what sounds like responses or conversation where like where you're describing where you've cleaned it up and you can hear words, an analog right. transmission of a digital signal would sound like what we call digital hash. If you've ever heard time code running, it's a ones and zeros recorded to tape or recorded to an audio track. And it just sounds like this high pitched digital hash. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day because uh, Scott and I both have uh, video editing backgrounds. I've heard so much of it. I know exactly what you're talking about. And to describe it here is that it's rhythmic and it's electronic sounding. It does not sound like static. And it doesn't have the cadence of like we were talking about sort of a call and response type of thing with questions being asked and possibly being answered. So the way this would work, Dave, with these digital baby monitors most likely is that they would have an A to D, an analog to digital converter within them, they would convert the signal to digital and then broadcast it from the base to the monitor and vice versa. So the idea would be that that signal would be ones and zeros and would match the patterns that we were just talking about. Right. Okay. And so if there was any kind of interference that the DR60, the Panasonic RRDR60 was accepting, that would likely be the digital hash that you just mentioned and not something that matches the cadence of a conversation, even if it's difficult to understand? Um, it might match the cadence of a conversation because the digital signal is matching that of the analog signal, right? So right. it wouldn't sound like what the audio you have sounds like, though. Okay. Right. Here's a question that I just thought of in relation to what you were just talking about, kind of a call and response pattern here and being conversational. 
if it were interference saying coming from a radio frequency signal from outside the house interfering with the recorder would it also go over or overlay our conversation in the room which you can clearly hear because as you hear the recording it's quite clear that uh this noise does not cover up when we're talking. It stops, and maybe that's an aspect of the voice activation mode, but it's obviously not overlaying our conversation in the room. Would that be possible? What Forrest is talking about specifically relates to File 9, which I think that link I sent it to you last night had it in there, but in File 9, there are four of us in the room talking, and you can hear that sound actually usually preceding our talking, and then the minute one of us speaks it cuts it off. But the sound that precedes us talking is very, very similar to all the sounds in file 10 when no one was in the room. So what we're trying to figure out is, does that tell us anything about how that signal is recorded if there's a difference between the two? Because another thing that you had mentioned to me the other day on the phone was the possibility of the interference or whatever's creating the signal coming into the recorder downstream of the microphone, entering it somehow downstream of the mic, but upstream of the A to D analog to digital converter, or downstream of the A to D converter, how would all of that work, especially if we're able to verbally seemingly cut it off? So that file nine that you're talking about, I actually have it pulled up here on, on my computer. I'm looking at it. And so like if you're getting RF interference, it's not going to override the acoustic signal that the microphone's picking up. So it'll be happening at the same time that your dialogue is happening. So one typically doesn't override the other. In that file nine, you can hear actual RF that I normally deal with, which sounds like uh, tape noise or tape hiss, uh -huh. but that's RF interference. And you can hear a little like couple of weird staticky sounds in there too. That's very typical RF interference. Over us talking, to be clear, just for the listener uh -huh. here, it's happening as we're talking and you can hear our voice plus the RF static combined. Yep. So then what you're saying is in file nine, to your trained ear, you're able to make a distinction between typical RF interference and the other sounds that are present that we're not exactly sure what they are or where they're coming from. Right. This is what's interesting though. The typical RF interference I'm talking about, it doesn't have all that crazy distortion on it. Right. It just sounds like regular old RF. But the signal, the EVP, is distorted. You're not hearing any sort of acoustic response in your room right. pushing air. So whatever interference it's coming from is at a very, what we call like a hot level, where it's distorting the op amp or it's distorting the A to D converter. It's distorting something. Where normal RF interference is at such a low level that it's not going to distort wherever it's getting in. Here's another thing we discussed the other day. In terms of RF or radio frequency interference, you would talk to me a little bit about how that would enter RRDR60 and how, like, say if you had an old analog microphone with plenty of wires in it that weren't properly shielded and they would act as sort of an antenna and they would accept it more. But with regard to the RRDR60, you know, I speculated anyway that it was solid state and its ability to act as an antenna would involve just millimeter long tracks of solder on a chip or something. That's one thing I thought from the beginning that people are posing as, as a possible explanation is that like a baby monitor or something that's picking up CB or ham radio interference, that's more likely to happen to a device that is actually a receiver or transceiver, meaning it's essentially a radio. 
So we were asking Dave here the possibility of any kind of internal bits of wire or solder connections that could possibly act like an antenna to receive a signal, even though it's not intended to. And I think you said there is a slight possibility, but it's very remote. I wouldn't say it's very remote, but there is a possibility. It's not like you need really long leads. Like leads are on the bottom of the circuit board at the solder points where long pieces of wire sticking out or long pieces of wire between a component like a resistor or a chip or something like that. Most, even in the 90s, like stuff was machine assembled and, you know, the leads on these things were really short. But even then, it's not uncommon to get RF into something. Typically, what would happen is the manufacturer would build an RF filter, which is a small circuit into the circuit design of the overall unit to get rid of that. It's very common with like professional microphones. It's so common, even like consumer microphones now, you know, there's an RF filter built in, usually grounded to the metal shell of a microphone and that just eliminates it. I was testing a mic very recently and I was getting RF into it, but it's a high quality mic. There aren't miles of uh, wire leads or anything on it, but it's still, it could still happen. So it's not extremely rare, but it's not something that's desirable. Uh, if you're in an RF heavy environment like Times Square, I bet if you took this DR60 into Times Square, you'd get all kinds of crazy stuff happening. Right. I mean, guys with professional wireless systems have problems working there. So I don't think it's that uncommon. I, what I don't think is common is back in the 90s, if people were even thinking about building RF filtering into these devices. So what you're saying is the RF interference would be common. You also just said you think that back in the early 90s, this might not have had an RF filter in it, especially this little $30 handheld digital memo recorder. But on the other hand, as to what you said earlier, there is a difference between what RF interference sounds like, which you've clearly heard in our recordings, and it is different from the part of the recording that we're referring to as the EVP. Yes. To get the sound that we're calling the EVP here, that kind of level of distortion and how loud that is on the recording, especially compared to our voices where we're talking directly into it, and this thing's pinning the needles, as we used to say, on this device, would you say that the interference signal would have to be really, really strong, or could it be faint and from miles away to produce that kind of sound? That's a good question. I don't have a really good answer on that because I don't know the design specs of the components. Typically, those are things that what I would look at would be frequency response, max SPL, or amplitude response. Then nobody calls it amplitude response. But basically, <laughs> how loud of a signal can you throw at a specific device before it starts to distort? Right. So um, that device was easily distorted. I mean, just even talking in the room at a normal volume, you would start to get some weirdness. But at least I could understand what you're saying. That distortion was very severe. It was really, really bad. If it was an acoustic signal, it'd have to be extremely high. A radio signal, it would have to be pretty big amplitude, I would think, to do that even on a lower cost consumer device like that. Yeah, because the part where it appears to blow out we're pretty sure, 99.9% .9 sure, that there was no, as you said, acoustic or audible noise in the room. So whatever was there, there's a part where everyone's heard it, it blows out the recording, which initially I was saying it blows out the mic, but it seems like it's not coming into the mic. So what is it blowing out when it's doing that? Depends on where the radio frequency signal is getting in. If it's getting in after the mic, but before the amplify, the mic amp, so if that's where the signal's getting in and you wouldn't hear that in the air, it could be distorting the mic amp or the op amp. 
If it's coming in after that, but before the analog to digital converter, it could easily distort an A to D converter. And digital distortion is not as pleasing to the ear as analog distortion. You can saturate a tape and distort it and it'll sound pleasing. Digital distortion sounds really gnarly. And so a, a large part of me thinks that whatever's causing this, the EVP is distorting the A to D converter. They used to say, you know, if you believe any of this at all about EVPs, that analog gear was better at capturing it. And so then now we've got this digital device we've introduced. And what we're saying right now is that whatever is creating this signal is still producing an analog signal. It's just the digital device is having a hard time converting it to digital to record it. Yeah, if that's an analog signal of some sort, whether acoustic or radio, it's getting into there and the A to D converter is, you know, back at the time, even professional grade stuff wasn't all that good compared to what we have now. Consumer grade stuff was just, okay, it kind of works. So to get the cost out of that, that thing was like 30 bucks at the time. That's pretty low cost for the consumer wise. It's a pretty good value. The components in there aren't going to be the greatest razzle dazzle things you can get. And, you know, distorting it would be pretty darn easy. To step back here, how would it get into this recorder then if it's downstream of the mic? We just recently watched a video clip on YouTube with uh, Steve Huff, who does a lot of paranormal investigations, uses the DR60 and praises it quite a bit as being the best device he's come across to get these kind of EVPs. And he's personally done experiments where he's taken the DR60, put it in a watertight container, put it underwater, so that the mic essentially wouldn't have anything to pick up ambient-wise and also not destroy his recorder by taking it apart and disassembling the mic. But he's saying he's gotten EVPs while this thing's been underwater in a watertight case. To do that properly, to eliminate any sort of random radio frequency stuff, you'd have to, you'd have to go... A Faraday cage? Well, if you're going to do the whole water thing. You would have to really go deep in the water. I can penetrate with RF. You could penetrate several feet. You know, I could put a wireless microphone transmitter, waterproof it, and I could put that down in water. It's not a common thing to do, but you can. And communicate wirelessly through water. So if you want to get scientific about it, if you want to eliminate any possibility of any random RF, if you're like, it's purely an EVP, you got to get deep. You got to go down and... Then that gets into the, our spirits even down in there. I don't know. <laughs> right. What could you use besides what? Because some people, they get the Faraday cages or the bags that people use to keep their car keys in so that criminals can't right. unlock their cars. Would would that be a better alternative? Or what would you yeah, do to isolate it? I would do a Faraday cage. Okay. There's, there's no risk of water damage to your device. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you were talking about using analog recorders. And as much as I love high-end professional gear... You know, if I'm going out to record EVPs, I'd sure I'd bring the $20,000 digital recorders and an arsenal of microphones, but I'm going to bring a high-end analog recorder because what you see all the time is the EMF detectors, electromagnetic field detectors. Right. You know, you're getting EMF readings in places you shouldn't be. So if that's an entity that tells me, okay, they're able to manipulate electromagnetism. So if I have an analog recorder like a nagra if you've seen a movie from the 70s 80s and 90s or a tv show the dialogue on production was recorded right. on a nagra really great machine on any tape deck the record head and the playback head they're magnets 
And the material on the actual tape is called gamma ferric oxide. And what the magnets do is arrange that. So when you play it back, it sounds. So if entities are using the electromagnetic spectrum to interact with us, I would think it would make sense to use an analog recorder to want to record EVPs. And I would want to use a high-end one where it's very low self-noise, very good components, and that sort of thing. But the Nagra is a really old piece of gear. Maintaining them is expensive. You can buy working ones used for not too crazy amount of money. How much are they? I remember. I used to remember. Oh, they were aged nine thousand dollars. Right uh, eight, back in the day. Maybe yeah. But how much are they now? If you got a mono one like the Nagra three or Nagra four, you could probably get one for under a thousand dollars in working condition. Right. So much less than the Panasonic RRDR sixty digital handheld. <laughs> crappy yeah. memo <laughs> like, recorder but you would need that kind of where it helps because people without using this background noise of static or uh, water running or fan noise and all that they have picked up voices and uh what do you, even steve would say is that yeah but they're very faint they're really hard to detect the one good thing about the dr60 is that they come out kind of really clear or louder in amplitude you can get it with any device digital or analog but oftentimes it'll be kind of faint and short and they're not as good ev of evidence to work with. So with this recorder though, even with the Nagra, it might help to have that background noise as kind of the medium to work with here. The bottom line is that all digital devices ultimately are analog too, because they're converting an analog signal to digital. So it's the signal that's going into everything is starting as analog. If you don't have the A to D converter, then you don't record anything. Yeah, that's true. Unless you're coming digitally in from a digital source. Yeah. Right. In the context that we're talking about, that is correct. We've had some listener feedback, of course, people asking questions. They're curious what your take on it is. We had one person who contacted us on Twitter and said, I can see train tracks and there are tracks about a half mile away that are active, but they also run through downtown. The train comes through there fairly slow. We actually stayed in the Holiday Inn Express while we were in town that was right next to them. And I did notice when a train would come through, there was kind of the low rumble. They're not going super fast. They're not squeaking on the corner or anything like that. And it's not super free. It's nothing like Flagstaff. When you stay in Flagstaff, there's two double stacked trains going opposite directions about every five minutes. But this was... Yeah, which but, you can hear because, yes. and that's my other point, when we're in the room and also as it's evidenced... I believe in our recording, which is admittedly kind of crummy, but we can tell, I'll testify when we're in that house in the nursery there, we didn't hear any train noise, not the squeal of the wheels or train whistles, any of the things that you'd normally associate with tracks being nearby. It we was also have video quiet. audio from the video footage yeah, we shot that, exactly. backs, that backs up that there wasn't a train. I mean, was there anything about the EVP that sounded to you like it might've been mistaken for something like that? No, because if it was a train, let's say like the physical noise a train makes when it goes by, it would have to have been really close to the house, like 25 yards away, 50 yards or closer. And it's a steady sound. Right. So, and they do make a lot of low end rumble and depending on how you, the house or whatever building you're in is built, whatever, a low end rumble. If you set a recorder on a table on the second floor of that house, and there is a train 25 yards going by, there's going to be a lot of low-end rumble that you may not necessarily hear, like a lot of vibration that goes through the ground, into the house, into the table, into the recorder. But that's not what we're hearing here, because it would be a steady sound that goes on for however long that train's going. It would fade up, coming in from a distance, 
And if it's one of those really long ones, you know, it would last for a while and then it would just fade out. But that's not what we're hearing here. This is intermittent, whatever it is, causing the sound. I did a lot of listening to this. There's a lot of like really quick crescendo coming in, coming out. Some of it sounds like a steady yell. Some of it sounds like it's very fast conversationally kind of stuff, but it's indecipherable. This is not a train. It's not a helicopter flying around overhead. It's not a quick airplane, like a low flying Cessna or even a commercial jet that's coming in for a landing at the local airport. It just really doesn't sound like that. Any of those typical environmental sounds that we normally filter out in our day-to-day -day hearing, to me, it does not sound like any of those. Can you rule out electromagnetic frequency in a really strong signal having an effect on that DR60? Or is that still a possibility, even though the meter didn't go off? If your meter didn't go off, I don't know how any sort of EMF would have any effect. If it was a weak signal, yeah, I don't see how that would really, because not knowing the type of microphone, certain, you know, microphones have like a voice coil with a, some of them, like a dynamic mic will have a magnet in there. But I mean, I, I've never heard of that really being an issue. Right. Before. Other than an EMP, which just jacks everything. The reason I sound puzzled by the question is because I've never heard of EMF interfering with, uh, in this context, interfering with an audio recording. Interesting. Honestly, it could be a couple of different things. I think it could be an EVP. I'm always skeptical of recorded EVPs, especially on low-end equipment. So that's always like strike number one. Like, what was it recorded on? If you had picked this up on a Nagra or some other like higher-end piece of gear and it was discernible, then I'd be like, oh my gosh, like this is really strong evidence. Because I'm a technophile and I don't like to turn up my nose at lower cost gear. In fact, I think that does a disservice to equipment manufacturers. But at the same time, I was like, well, when I listened to it, I was like, oh man, I really wish this wasn't so heavily distorted. And even on the cleaned up audio file, there's like a high pitch that you can hear when it's cleaned up. And it's and when I, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, oh man, I know exactly what that is. That's what happens when you really do a really strong cleanup on, on something like Isotope RX or anything else. You start getting, again, the word artifacts in there. And that's very, very, that exact thing happened to me on an indie feature I worked on years ago where the dialogue was really gnarly and we couldn't go back and re-record it and like loop it or do ADR. I had to clean it up. And that it, my dialogue sounded exactly like that. And we had to get someone else in with like better gear to help clean it up. So that 6K kind of tone that you hear in there, that's like so typical. I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. That wasn't something else creating that that was an entity or whatever. That's an artifact of cleaning up the sound. Okay. It's not uh, anything in the environment. It's not a train, it's not a plane, helicopter, it's not cars. But I, I, I don't know if I could say, oh, I know 100% it's RF from the CB radio, or it's a ghost, or it's a demon. It's a low pitch sound. And even when you pitch shift it up, it doesn't help it. Or if I speed it up, it doesn't help make sense of it. And I typically don't like to do that. Some people will, oh, I played it in reverse and it was bacon is meat candy. Like, well, what entity that's trying to communicate with you is going to talk in reverse? So that, like, I never do that. I, sometimes I'll speed it up or slow it down just to see if that does anything. And it's like, that usually doesn't help either. What I can tell you is it's, it's freaking weird. And I don't have a solid answer. That there bothers me, that I can't tell you exactly what it is. 
All right, Dave, I just got to thank you so much. We really appreciate your time today. Thank you for reaching out to us in the first place. And thank you for uh, getting on the phone with us. My pleasure. Anytime. So that was really great that we got Dave. He has so much experience. He's worked on so many video games. That field recording, you know, I brought up the car game that he worked on. There's a yeah, couple that's of right, them. That's there's right. only really two famous. Well, no, that, now there's three famous ones. I know which one he worked on. These are driving games. Oh, we got you. Yeah, yeah and Forza. they were all. Yeah, they were all. Well, there's Forza, Need for Speed, and Gran yeah, Turismo. Right. And they were all famous for sending field guys out to tracks with every car that was in yeah, the game yeah. and recording the exhaust note all around the track from right. different points on the car from inside so that if you switched cameras, you would hear it. In. And it was amazing. The amount of experience that that guy has, that Dave has, doing that kind of stuff and all the other things he does and working with high-end equipment and Nagras and all that stuff, which, by the way, I'm going to, after this week's show, I'm going to see if I can convince you to for us to buy a Nagra. Oh, we, uh, it's no, less my, expensive my, than the DR60. <laughs> my my <laughs> <laughs> well, it's real to real. Yeah. But here's what I'll say about Dave's experience and why it's specifically apropos to what we're doing here is because people will say, well, you know, you really need to talk to somebody who has experience with the type of anomalies that we might be showcasing here. And who better than somebody who records out in the field? Yeah. Maybe much more so than an acoustical or electrical engineer in a lab where you're in a controlled environment. Here, here's somebody who's done thousands of recordings yes. out in the field with every type of interference coming over the airwaves, nearby, everything electrical, mechanical, dynamos, anything that could cause a problem, they're familiar with. Because yes, they've the, heard it. Yeah, at the end of the day, they're being paid to deliver a clean track. And if you can't get it, you should know why. So that's why I value his expertise here and his opinion on this. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we talked to him a little bit about and something that's been a recurring theme, not only with our listeners, but a, a lot of people just kind of suggesting was the idea of radio interference and that being something that the DR60 picked up. And there were several emails to this effect. This one was a little bit more pointed, but I, I wanted to read this. <laughs> and oh, read no, this there's, there's, a, there's a few that are pointed, but they're fun. Yeah. 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 So uh, listen to this email. I hate to break it to you, but you guys caught CB interference from long-range truckers. Grew up with this issue at my grandmother's house over her intercom system. Very similar device to the recorder you used, which is why investigators, in quotes, love them. It's how easily they pick up interference from a number of radio waves. If you don't believe me, just ask any ham operator. I can tell through the static because of typical trucker shorthand. It's all in good fun. Yeah, I, did, yeah, sure. I did not take offense at this email for yeah. the gentleman who sent it, if you hear me reading it on the air. But one of the things, I don't know how on earth you would say that a DR60 is similar to a home intercom system. Well, I'm not sure where you're making that comparison. No, they're not. It's just a jump. It doesn't. Uh, there's no connection there. So yeah. I'm going to go ahead and refute that. And I do take offense at the word investigators being in quotes. <laughs> we're, we're investigating we're, this pretty hard, yeah, I'm going to tell you. But we're not, we are sort of investigators in quotes here. There was other folks on our Facebook page, in our closed Facebook group, and in other places. And they were in the minority, but they were definitely present. And we're glad to have people that are skeptical among our listeners. We welcome yes. everybody. There was this one gentleman who made several posts that more or less said the same thing. I'll read one of the things he wrote in quotes. It's nothing but static, garbled radio discussion. Right. So going back to the email that I read that says, just ask any ham operator. Well, that's what we did. We happened to be not too far from the ham radio outlet in Burbank on Magnolia Boulevard. Let me read you a little bit about the history of this company. In 1971, a California Highway Patrol officer and veteran of the Navy Signal Corps, who happened to be a ham, 
came into possession of a little radio emporium on a wooden train platform in Berlingame, California. Bob Ferrero, or Bob, who was then K6AHV and later became W6RJ, was a dedicated California highway patrolman. He loved ham radio and was determined to make a go of starting a business selling amateur radio products. Today, HRO, meaning ham radio outlet, is a family-owned business with 15 sales locations throughout the United States, which include a formidable presence on the internet, making it the largest ham radio dealership in the world. HRO is continually expanding with our newest location in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which opened on August 27th of 2016. With worldwide distribution, HRO is geared to fill the needs of hams everywhere, whether online on the World Wide Web, over the telephone, or in person in one of our stores. Customer service is one of our primary goals. We employ, this is important, we employ active hams with varied backgrounds and expertise to be able to assist in any area of the hobby. Welcome to Ham Radio Outlet. And they were very welcoming, too. Yeah, yeah, so we decided we were going to drive over there. We went and had one of our customary late 3 o'clock lunches because we're always working <laughs> like crazy. <laughs> we were starving yeah. and inhaled a couple of beers and burgers. Yeah. And then we went to the Ham Radio Outlet, which was right up the street. And you're going to have to bear with us. This is not a, our normal quality of recording. We were pressed for time, so we just went in there with an iPhone in record mode. And we decided that we were going to interview the guys in there. We had called them ahead of time, and they were like, yeah, come on by. We told them that we had a recording, and we were trying to determine whether or not it was radio interference. Now, full disclosure here, we did say that we sort of cheekily said, we didn't give them the whole Sally House backstory, none no, of no, that, no. but we just said, we recorded this in a haunted house. and that, Yeah, exactly. And yeah. that's it. And because they're going to hear Scott's question to begin with on that track anyway. So if you're worrying about bias or influence, it's like, you know, these guys are more technicians and hobbyists. Like we didn't think it was going to make much more of a difference had they known anything about it or all, because they're going to just tell you if it's radio interference. Yeah. It's a pretty simple question for somebody with their level of experience. I want to make clear that when we went in there, we wound up talking to three guys. We played this recording for three guys. The primary guy, the guy who I called on the phone ahead of time, his name is Craig Underwood. He is a licensed ham for going on 30 years. He has a ton of experience in the field and he works there in the store. So we're going to play this file of what we recorded while we were in the store And you're going to be able to hear the entire conversation between Craig and his two compatriots in the store where we talk to him about the recording and what was on it. There's a couple of places we're going to break back in and explain to you what's happening. Initially, we didn't really start this at the right point, so it's just going to jump in. You're going to hear me saying, playing this recording. Here's the next thing I need to warn you about. At the beginning of the recording is file 10 again. It is going to be playing file 10 from the DR60, which we put down on the counter in front of them and played it. And you're going to hear it coming in over the iPhone recording that we have. So be ready for that. I'm actually asking Sarah, our editor, to mix it down pretty low because you've already heard it. You don't need to hear it blaring again. So it's going to be low until you'll hear them come in and start reacting to it. You're also going to hear at one point after they hear the recording and they're trying to process it, One of the guys is kind of fidgeting with a package of a wire, some cables or something. So you'll hear some plastic crinkling, but that only lasts a few seconds. So uh, let's go into that interview. And it picked up something. We're trying to ascertain whether or not it's radio interference. And so we're just going to play it for you guys and see what you think about it. And let me know what you think. Okay. It was in voice activation mode, but it picked up two minutes of audio after my preamble. And we will share it. Leaving now, closing the door. No one else 
that particular sound is not RF. Not like it's encrypted. Yeah, but this is audio he's recording. Mm-hmm. What's, what, what else is there? Uh, you're not, audio is not going to pick up all that. Yeah. So. Could, could that be ham, skip, blows out? Well, if we, we do RF, yeah. okay, it, this is audio. It's yeah. not the same. Right. Yeah. It's not, Bottom line. Yeah. It's not any kind of weird frequency coming in there. No one was standing around this. The room was empty. I left it in a closed room. Yeah, this file before this one, we were in the room, which we did pick up some Similar stuff sounds. like this yeah. very briefly. And we were in the room, and we only heard it on playback, which is typical of what these of what people call EVPs, which is like a ghost recording. I, I, I've heard those before, but yeah. that's a f monster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. Okay. okay. That, no, that, you know, because yeah, I... That's pretty weird. I've, I mean, know, I've no. seen some pretty weird... Yeah. yeah, I I record too. I, oh, you you I, have recorded. Yeah, you know, I, I have recorded with your cemetery and you know just stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, got a better recorder. Uh, it was recorded on this device. That device. Okay, because right there. there's no motor running. Because I mean, you, you could it's sound digital. like at the beginning you. Could it's an early '90s like... digital recorder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, in your opinion, that is not. This you could explode that on a on a, a good analyzer, yeah, and and uh, segregate it out. That's a f monster or something in there because that's not that's not uh, ham radio interference or power line interference or somebody's blender that's about ready to throw a throw a bearing and it's hitting its brushes and stuff <laughs> like that. In my professional opinion, that's a f all right, so for the for the sake of our listeners, yeah. can I ask you a question? Sure. How much experience do you have with ham radio and uh, radio work, and how long have you been in this field? About 25 years. Okay. The brushes on the uh, on the motor, that's I've not heard that yet as an explanation. That's oh, good. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, well, there's, you know, the different sounds that could be made, but that sounds, sure. that, 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 that sounds like it was recorded through the microphone. Right. Yeah. You know, in in that radio, and the only in that to record, the only other way you would know is have another device there right. with a different style microphone, right? You know, and isolated, not uh, setting down on anything, but something in a rubberized mount, like a yeah broadcast microphone, right? Yeah. What would uh, generally, if you were, uh, because here's my thing, I've been harping on this, is that you know that that recorder is not a transceiver. You know, I mean, it can pick up interference. Uh, it's possible, but what would ham sound like if we were to get? If, it had to be really strong too, right? For that, to, for something like that, to pick that up. It's uh, nothing like that. I mean, nothing like that. The bands are not good right now, but. Mm -hmm. Okay, folks. So what's happening here is we're walking across the store over to this huge counter where they have. I don't know, 30 or 40 ham radios set up. Yeah, demos of the radios they sell so you can make a selection and yeah. they can show you how they work. It's and, the coolest you know. thing ever. We got <laughs> a picture a, of it. Yeah, it looks it like the bridge of the Enterprise or a submarine or something. It's really amazing. So they're walking us over there. There is a point, though, that was made early on here, and, and some of it's hard to hear because File 10 was so loud underneath us talking. Right. And we're sorry about that. That's where we had the iPhone. We're amateurs on the field recordings well, here. <laughs> well, no, we but, didn't know. Uh, we had it on the counter and of course they're working. So yeah. one guy was unwrapping some uh, cables or connectors 
and while he's talking, and it's not a recording session, they're just, we're having a conversation yeah, with these guys. just having a conversation. But there was something that one of the guys said kind of at the outset for us that you wanted to mention to the audience. Yeah, one of the senior guys there, of the three, as he was listening, he's commenting, and he made an important point, which may have gotten lost in the noise there, literally, yeah. that to him and his experience, this was not RF, this was audio. So audio. Yeah, you'll hear them. You're going to hear people, this is coming up again and again with our experts, by the way. This is audio or it's acoustic. It's in the room or it's audio. It is not radio frequency interference. Exactly. So Which what, is what RF is, by the way. I feel like we should have pointed that out at the beginning. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say. RF is radio frequency. Right. And what that means is that that is sound coming as a signal over the airwaves, through the air, not in the room. That being RF, radio frequency. What he's saying is that what you're recording here is audio, meaning the microphone itself, as far as he knows, is picking up actual sounds in the room. Yeah, and the paradox there, and the reason Forrest just said, as far as he knows, is we know that there is no audible sound happening in that room either right. because we would have heard it and we have other recordings where we were in the room and we got the same kind of sounds and there was nothing happening that you could hear with your ears. Exactly. Right. So, right. so we, this is a paradox. Right, right here, this is a clear paradox. They are saying it is not radio frequency interference. Their combined experience in the ham field, I'd have to be guessing, between the three guys that were standing there, but I'm going to go with 50 to 60 years of experience yeah. between the three of them, maybe more. They're saying it was not radio interference and that it was in the room, that it had to be acoustic or audible. And we're telling you that we know for a fact it wasn't that. So where does that leave you? Now, we're going to go back to the rest of this here. It's not a very long clip. We're walking over to the area where the ham radios are on the counter because we asked them, what does it sound like? And uh, along the way, we actually stumbled across a new mystery coming in over the radio waves in Burbank. That's a... I don't know what that is. That's uh, one of these sounds that's been appearing lately. Uh-huh. But you notice it's all over the place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds a lot like Space Invaders. <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it's taken me back. <laughs> it's all over. You don't this. know what that is? No. Where's it coming from? Don't know. Don't know. Some pulsing noise. I suspect it's something in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. But it just so happens. This is 14, 425, and then we were over here. We're getting the same type of noise on uh, 40 meters, 20 meters, very mm -hmm. far apart in frequency. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's uh, some type of electrical pulse noise. Interesting. But uh, the bands are kind of quiet right now anyway. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to get some. Nice thing about these new receiver, you see a signal, you can go right to it. That's really cool.
Time was UTC. Was mm-hmm. what was right. Okay. Well, that answered that question. All right, Craig. I can't thank you enough. Well, hey, I really appreciate should it. give you more. No, no that's that's what we that's need to we hear. Need. We, we just need to hear because again, people are going to keep questioning this. You could throw it up on a computer and uh, hold things apart and uh, yeah. you know salvage any kind of mm-hmm. audio like. So many real bad circumstances, just trying to find out what they're saying. But it's nothing like that. That yeah. is a, you know, it sounds human enough because the way it, yeah, yeah, it's tone, yeah, the cadence. Tone, yeah, the cadence. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. otherwise, monster. All right. You guys take care now. All right, you too, man. Thank you. Okay, so that was one of my favorite parts of this whole series. Yeah, it was fun <laughs> talking to those guys. <laughs> it was. I wanted to buy everything in there. They've gotten so cool. When I was younger in the Boy Scouts, my Scoutmaster had a ham radio kit, and yeah. uh, it was amazing. And But it was like the entry room, a foyer, whatever. It was so much gear. Oh, yeah, right. And now it's like four cigar boxes. And, <laughs> well, and you, it's got like yeah. this crazy... And what he was saying to us, and you'll see the picture, and I actually shot a little one-minute video simultaneous with this audio that you'll yeah. be able to see. We'll post it on the with the show, what you'll see is he was saying, when you see a signal, you can go to it. He's like, that's one of the cool things about this particular receiver. It was about a $4,000 receiver I think we were looking at. There was a big display on the front, and you would see a signal on a display, and then you could just tune over to it. It was right, re- really right. neat. Back in the old days, you couldn't see squat. You just hunted yeah. around with the knob. Well, that was part of the fun, and you had to make a log, and that's what ham radio operators did. You kept a log, and you made friends around the world because you can talk to anybody around the world. Yeah, it's really cool. In the old days, a lot of it was done by Morse code. So to take the test back in the old days, you had to learn Morse code. You don't have to do that these days. Yeah, they they dropped that. They dropped that, but I I still kind of want to learn it. You know, in case I'm I'm taking prisoner and I need to uh, tap out code instructions. And so like you said, yeah, I grew up, we both did, talking and listening to CB communications and truckers and just our own family. And also my dad and I, we used to listen to shortwave radio which is a similar deal where you're just listening. We're not transmitting, so we don't need a license, but you can listen to stuff all over the world, news programs, all these radio stations all over the world. And I was very familiar with all the kind of cool, weird sounds like you just heard. Yeah. Where like the pitch is shifting. It's like, wow, you know. That, it's, no, and it's, when I hear that, I had never heard it before in my life until yeah. Star Wars. Oh, right. And I thought, oh my God, they invented that. But really they were just taking this exact sound because there's some radio transmissions in Star Wars where it's like, it's yeah, like yeah. right at that point where he was tuning the station in. Right, right. It's so neat. But we've talked to all kinds of experts, and especially experts who have experience now with ham radio and obviously CB radio, which is ham radio's very, very, very little stepbrother. Mm. And they're not saying that that's what that recording is. And these are guys who have a ton of experience with that. Here's another interesting thing about that. That clip was kind of a mess when we gave it to our editor, Sarah. And <laughs> the reason was we just recorded it on an app on the iPhone and it was picking up everything. And you heard our disclaimer about it during the clip. But the other thing that was happening is one of the guys had it, like a, a crinkly plastic bag with, mm-hmm. like we said, a cable in it or something. And it was super loud, the crinkling. And so we handed it over to Sarah and we asked her to clean it up try to get the crinkling to go away. And that's why it sounds a little muffled because she had to do that to get the other stuff away and get it to sound more reasonable across the board. What she used to eliminate the crinkling and to make it more listenable overall was RX by Mm -hmm. Isotope. 
All right, so to recap where we're at so far mm -hmm. in our analysis of the EVPs from files nine and file 10, more importantly, we first spoke with Joshua Lewis of Hope Paranormal, who talked at great length with us about the somewhat unusual simultaneous journey that his DR60, with recordings that suggested he should send it to Primo, and then later said, he's impressed, he will find nothing, which pretty much matches Ed's reaction to everything exactly. Yeah. So that's the initial step. Then our DR60s go to Ed. We talk to Ed Primo. He tells us, you know what? I can't reproduce this. I tried to reproduce it. I can't reproduce it. I cannot find a scientific explanation for what created these sounds. And on top of that, he described the nature of the sine waves and how they were similar between our DR60 and Joshua's DR60. Even though the sounds weren't the same to us, right. technically, the sine waves of the sounds are identical. Yeah. But an unusual signature. An unusual signature, exactly. He wasn't sure what created it. We then sent it to Isotope, the makers of the RX plugin, among many other things that they make, and asked them what they thought of it. And they said, well, it's garbled, but it definitely sounded like words. The guy at Isotope, and he made clear, by the way, to go back to his disclaimer, it was just a personal opinion. He wasn't representing the company. Right. This was just, you know, he had a chance to look at it. He's a support guy. I don't want to put him on the spot. But this is what he said. He said, it sounded like words to me and that he was betting on radio interference. We then spoke with Dave Fisk, who is an expert on field recording, dialogue editing, working with high-end audio equipment. You heard all his opinions about that. And he talked a little bit about the idea of radio interference. Then we spoke to the ham radio experts about the recording being radio interference, ham radio interference, or possibly CB interference, even though we didn't specifically mention that. It goes hand in hand with their expertise. They said no. They said that it was audio. So I want to remind you, they said that it was something that was made in their minds into the microphone. But we know it wasn't made into the microphone. So what we've got is a, all these experts who agree that they can't figure out what it is, and each one thinks it might be the other thing, but we've covered pretty much every angle, and no one has got a solution to what created these recordings. I was really expecting, Forrest, honestly, I was expecting somewhere along this way for someone to, you know, open the drawbridge and stop us. Oh, I wasn't. Well, no. well right. And that's, no, no. <laughs> actually, no, I'm glad you said that. That's the difference right. between you and us and the difference between where we started right. in, in this show and even before this. And then for me, because you're like, no, this is an EVP, it's, even though you made yeah. fun of me initially. I, and when I ran I out of the house, not. you did. We have it on tape. Oh, we have it on video. No, no, I, I, but yeah. <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah. You know, I'm the one that's come around on it, but I, I was expecting Ed Primo to say, oh yeah, this is this and that and the other thing. I was expecting the radio guys, I didn't know what to expect. We played it for them. I thought, oh, they're going to say, yeah, you know what? This sounds exactly like, I've heard this before. It's coming in from a close by FM radio station. Or yeah. No one is figuring this out. That's the bottom line. Everyone is deflecting it to another area and we've addressed all those areas and there's a lot of passing the buck going on, is what I'm saying, sort of in terms of responsibility well, it, for the sound. Within the specificities of their fields, they only go so far and can only give you answers that they are familiar with. And the only person that kind of goes outside of that is Josh Lewis, because he's studying the intersection between technology and spirituality, not religiosity but the side of spirit, the other side of the veil, and using technology like recorders and spirit boxes and those kinds of things to try and gather evidence. 
So if you look at all these other guys that are audio engineers and professionals and audiologists and uh, people who analyze this kind of stuff and get field recordings, they only have a certain subset of possibilities to deal with, and they can't go outside of those. They might if they studied this kind of thing personally, but most of them don't. You know, it'd be irresponsible of them to say like, oh, well, that's your class four type ghost. There's no classification for them to go to on the spiritual side. So, well, if we're looking at the technical aspect of it, it's got to be either audio that's in the room as you hear it being recorded by the microphone, or it's got to come into the room through radio waves, RF, radio frequency. And that's what the ham guy said. Our friend at Isotope, who does the tech support for RX, is saying, it's like, well, look, to me and what it sounds like and the signature, what I can see here, it looks like words. And then the only way that those words can come into the room under the conditions you specified would be through the air. So they're going to the very limits of, of what they can claim as a possibility. And they're kind of conflicting. But my overall point, when I said earlier just a minute ago, I knew it would be inconclusive in the technical realm of audio. And the only person that was going to go outside of that was going to be Josh, because again, he's accepting. Wait, you knew, how long ago you knew that? My feeling when we started this, it's like with Ed and we were going to submit this audio and we didn't know who. I just said when we started this, like we should have a professional audiologist look at this. You were convinced that early on that there was going to be no solid result or explanation for this? The best I could hope for, I would think, is, and again, you're going to tease me because that's the movie aspect of it. That's the Mothman. It's like, well, this is a voice, obviously, but it's not within the human register. We did get that a little bit. Yeah. That this sounds like voices. We're all living in your movie for us. This is all <laughs> fake anyway. I just wish it was going better for me overall. Uh, <laughs> the idea, though, is that these are voices where they sound like it. And so we've had people weigh in saying like, yeah, this looks like speech where there shouldn't have been any speech. But what Ed would determine is that it's not within the range of regular human speech. So we did get a little bit of that, but that's the part of the movie where somebody looks at it and the audio specialist can't tell Richard Gere where Indrid Cold is from. And he can't tell him you know, oh, well, I can tell by the speech Forrest pattern. Is specifically referring to the Mothman prophecies oh, that's by our right. friend Rich Haddam. Of course. And one particular scene in it that he thought we would recreate when we did this EVP series, and apparently we almost have. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> no, the idea is that you get a strange voice on a recording. And, and Richard Gere just wants to know, like, well, who is this? Is somebody pranking me? And he takes it to an expert, and he's like, well, it's a voice, but it's not a voice created by a human. Outside of that, the audiologist can't tell him anymore. I can tell you what dimension this comes from. I don't know how this was made. That's kind of the answer we got. And so what that confirms, though, for Richard Gere is that it's not really a prank done by a local guy trying to embarrass him like a Gray Barker, <laughs> trying to embarrass John Keel. It's something outside of that. So before we started this, I just knew it should be looked at, and we have to eliminate things. That's how you do any investigation. You eliminate the things you can, and it's the whatever remains. That's what you deal with. I'm not saying that's the truth, is that you just whittle away the stuff that you can. So well, here, and that's what we did. That's what we tried to do. Again, radio frequency, try to eliminate that, or at least get an opinion on that to discount it or set that aside. As far as the shape of the words, finding the words, it's like, well, that's the part where we have to stop ourselves because, as we said earlier in the show tonight, it's still up for interpretation. I think I hear some clear words, but I can suggest those words when you go hear those clips, and you might hear them too, but just me suggesting them is influencing you. 
that's such a personal thing. So you have to interpret those for yourselves. But I do hear what I believe are words where nobody should have been speaking. So as far as all these guys are concerned, they gave us what they could. And it only went so far. And it was kind of what I was expecting is that you're not going to have an audiologist say, yep, it's a uh, spirit from the other side. They're from the netherworld. And that's what you got here. Because we have yet to hear of any that will go that far and have that much experience because as the spirit told uh, Josh, they are intrigued, but they will find nothing. So I'm not surprised, but we have to do it. You got, you got to do it. All right. Well, when wrapping up this EVP episode, I want to address one last thing and then draw some conclusions on it. And by the way, these are conclusions specifically related to the EVP portion of this series. We'll be talking about our overall conclusions on the Sally House in part four, the last part of the series, which will be out next week. I guess we got to get started on that. Anyway. <laughs> oh, dear. But there's one thing I, I did want to point out. A lot of folks out there who are looking at the DR60s and they're like, oh, the DR. Just Google DR60 and Angry Man and a bunch of stuff will come back and you'll see, you know, everybody gets this and then they all think they're getting spirits and da, 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 da. And I want to talk about that. And by the way, we had some listeners on Twitter specifically who sent us two other clips of recordings that are extremely similar to what we got on file 10. We are not the only people to get something like this, and I want to make that abundantly clear. Yeah. Other people are getting this on that, and we're actually reaching out to them, the ones that we can, to try and talk to them more about the circumstances that they got their recordings in. And Josh alluded to this a little bit, and he told me this even before we interviewed him today. He goes, you have to be careful how you've set up the recorder because you're more or less likely to get the quality of a recording based on how it's set up. So... I know there was this one web page where this gentleman had gone, he took a DR-60 to a cemetery, and he said something about, by the way, he believes in, in EVPs and spirit recordings, and he's using a lot of the terminology. I heard some ITC gems in here, and the EVPs are not what I'd call Class A, and that sort of thing. And then on the website, he said, I will clarify that the angry old man screams can be caused by the voice activation feature getting triggered, and therefore you don't hear me react to it much in the video. See, scores of investigators post these screeches as paranormal evidence all the time, which I thoroughly enjoy because I know their britches are still completely full of beep from initially hearing those demonic growls. That's on this website. It's paraholics.com. And I'm trying to see on the about page. I can only credit the guy. Uh, it's Matthew, a.k.a. Evil Ogleville, which I guess is a pseudonym. But uh, Matthew, your website's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm not picking on you here. I'm just saying this is his thing. It's like, oh, everyone's crapping their bit. But he's offering right. no explanation for it. So right. what I'm saying is, and there's other people. He's not the only one. I'm not singling him out. Yeah. There's a ton of people out there. It's, oh, this is DR60. It's the angry man. Right. Okay, fine. We just looked at every possible explanation for that type of recording, and the experts are coming up with nothing on it. So what you're not saying is, what is the answer? Where is the mystery solved? Oh, I'm just throwing this out with the trash. Maybe you and everyone else that has one of these DR60s is actually got a great communication device that is picking something up. And maybe to Josh Lewis's point, the settings are messed up because that's right. something else. He was saying... This thing maybe is frustrated and not necessarily angry at you, and maybe it's not directed uh -huh. at you. And part of the problem is the settings, it needs to be adjusted, just like when we were in the ham radio store. And when you first hear that transmission coming in, and it sounds very strange and Star Wars-y or whatever, right, right. and then it gets more and more clear as you tune it. 
to a certain extent with these recorders, and you know, maybe they're the perfect storm in terms of what captures this kind of stuff. These recorders, they need adjusting. You need to adjust the input sensitivity and maybe even the volume level. Now, theoretically, the volume is for playback only, but there is a theory that suggests where the volume is set, even right. during the recording phase, is triggering how much white noise is leaking into the recording while it's being made. This is the, on the assumption that you are recording some voices from beyond, some spirit yes. voices. Yeah. Okay. So what these other people say when they claim it's just the angry man phenomenon with these specific recorders is that the voice activation feature is recording something that sounds like screaming but is not at all from anything because there's you know right. there, you, that's you what, what getting saying. At. There's, there's two ways to look yes, at this yes yes is that okay so you're getting an evp because those exist spirits can talk to us through devices but they're not really angry it's just being over modulated and uh, the transducer is being overloaded so whatever the spirit is using to make these sounds onto the recorder that's getting blown out somehow there's too much energy so it sounds like screaming right the other camp is that, no, it's just a weird phenomenon with this particular recorder and its crummy settings and crummy components, and it just picks up stuff that sounds like screaming occasionally. Right. It's the perfect storm of short circuits and poorly made internal materials. Right. So there is no spirit world that's coming through on this recorder. Yeah, that's but the I just, I, the part of it that I can't get past is it's hard for me to imagine that there is a collection of components, no matter how shoddily made, that can mimic the cadence of human conversation, even if it's unintelligible. Right. As, oh. Not back then. Now, yeah. sure. Right. Sure. You can make a computer do whatever you want. This is a digital recorder from the 90s. This thing predates practical cell phones. So bottom line here is if you're going to claim that this angry man phenomena, this malfunction that happens with the DR60 is just what people are picking up and that's it. That's fine. But then show us how that's happening. Back up that statement with a little bit of proof. Yeah, prove it. Anything we're seeing online where people are saying, it's, oh, it's the angry man, it's the DR60, it's angry yeah. man. No one is saying how that works. No, you don't have to. That's the thing. It's easier for somebody to debunk something or to claim like, oh, it's just this. It's mystery solved. That's what you're getting. Nowadays, you could see nobody backs up anything mystery solved with any hard proof. It's just, this is a possibility for maybe 30% of these cases. Yeah. And then it's mystery solved. That's enough. That's all we need. We're going to move on from here. So that's what's happening here with the angry man, is that that's what's happening. You're stating that, well, yeah, that's happening a lot maybe, or that happens 30% of the time you use this recorder. That's fine. Then show us how that happens. And I'll buy that. All right. So the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up part three here, and this is going to be the, the end of our primary discussion on the EVP itself, is the reactions of everyone who listened to file 10 from part two. And it really was quite something because I had talked about how it made me feel when I had first heard it the first several times that I heard it. And I admit I'm getting past that now, being forced to listen to it a lot for the sake of the show. But those first feelings they were real and they were visceral. You know, one of the things I talked about is when I was QCing it, my eyes welled up. I didn't feel sad or like I was going to cry, but they welled up and I thought I was the only person. Turns out a lot of people had that exact same reaction. What Tess did for us, our head of research and also spreadsheet guru, she took a lot of the replies that came in and we've had many, many more since these. And we asked her to categorize them to reactions to listening to the File 10 EVP. This is based on over 213 
responses that we got, and it, this wasn't even really a survey. This was just called from emails, Twitter replies, or a Facebook group, Instagram, everywhere that she could find them. And from these 213 people that wrote in, you could describe over 83 of them as saying that they had a physical reaction to listening to the recording. There were additionally seven people who contacted us and said they were drawn to re-listening to it over and over and couldn't stop thinking about it, which I can relate to. Mm -hmm. I'm moving past that now, but only after fighting it. There were 15 people who couldn't finish listening to it. Completely understand that. Here's another one of the higher numbers. 89 folks categorized themselves as scared or disturbed by the recording. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to make something real clear here. Many people had multiple reactions. So the 83 that had a physical reaction, it could be that 40 or 50 of them also said they were scared or disturbed. We're not right. saying that these are independent. This survey is totally unscientific. Totally unscientific. Eight people of those 213 had nightmares. 69 people said they got goosebumps when they listened to it. So it's a very, very visceral reaction, which is something that I described for me when I first heard it, and a lot of people on first hearing it, because everyone's like, oh, you spent six hours hyping it, which we did. <laughs> yeah. That was not no, our goal, but I it was, just happened that way. I was about to say, what about the at least two people so far that said we should be ashamed of ourselves for even producing any of this? Yes, there were well. there were two people that said for us to be ashamed of ourselves. So I'm well, going to go ahead. Let me do that real quick. Okay, done. Well, so, right. <laughs> I, um, say, but, I, know, I know that sounds like a joke, but I'm joke. actually going to categorize that as a visceral reaction. Yeah. In that, I know on the surface, it sounds like they were just upset. They didn't like the theme of this. They didn't like where we're going. They didn't like our conclusions or where we, where we built it up. I mean, I must remind you that at least the first part of this series was a history and accounting of a haunted house, as we normally do. If you liked the show before, I don't know why you wouldn't like that part. But when we came to the EVP and the reaction that a couple of people, they reacted so negatively that they felt that they kind of needed to be insulting, which is odd. I mean, yes, we get trolls sometimes and, and they're just, they just like to do that. Yeah. Be insulting, but it seemed Anonymously, to, most of them. Yeah. But here it's like specifically addressing this. It, I just got the feeling it's like somehow it went beyond just upsetting them because they didn't like the subject matter or the reveal of it or this one aspect of it the idea upset them and they needed to uh, kind of lash out. So I'll count that as a, you know, as a reaction. Yeah. Ha! You reacted without even knowing you reacted. <laughs> kind of. You got mad and called us names. Well, well and that's the thing. And I, I do want to add also, there's plenty of perfectly polite and reasonable skeptics who, who said some things. Uh, I want to read some of these comments from our Facebook group from the skeptics. Uh, Honestly, I was a little disappointed at the EVP, not saying that to belittle anyone's personal experience with it. Thank you for being kind. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. I expected to feel something when I listened to it. I really expected something much worse. Still love you guys. One of my favorite shows. That's how to diss somebody, by the way. It's very respectful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leanne, for your opinion on it. I didn't find it scary either, Ashley says. I didn't get much either. Sounded like a zipper being zipped up with static and maybe a dog growl, but I didn't feel or hear anything eerie. That's from John. Mm -hmm. Hurt my ears, but it sounds mechanical. I don't feel much of anything. Your paranormal experience would have to pretty much slap me in the face to have an effect. That's mm -hmm. from Michelle. One of these comments that I thought was interesting that's more in the skeptic field. Kevin wrote... Uh, do you not think there are other possibilities, such as faulty technology or interference? Personally, I would like to know which serial code the DR60 used in F124 has. Seemingly, if it starts with FF9EF, they are notorious for getting a screaming-like interference, so much so it is known as the angry man. 
Well, uh, there you go. Angry I, man. I would also like to see if this can be replicated on the same DR60 in a different environment. Now I'm opening up the box with our DR60 mm. in it. Not that this really matters, honestly, but the serial number on ours, if anybody wants to know, is FD8HB19976. F is in Frank, D is in David, 8, H is in Hotel, B is in Bravo, 19976. That's a serial number on ours. And it seems to have an angry man on it, whether it fits the FD category <laughs> or not. Joshua Lewis asked us about whether ours was an FD or not. He clearly knows a lot more about this than we do. So, But it's interesting, and I hope that, Kevin, to your point, that we addressed all the things that you were interested in looking into, because you basically just said you wanted more information. Yeah. And I also wanted to thank the skeptics who said, uh, I, here's one that said, uh, Corey, who said, I didn't personally think the EVP was anything. I'm not saying it was nothing, but honestly, couldn't focus on anything but Scott. I feel so bad for him and what he's going through. This hit him hard. You have support, Scott. I think it's safe to say we're all here for you. So I, I want to thank everybody that said something like that, especially you, Corey. So I'll, I'll describe my experience here between the skeptical still or the null set here and the viscerally affected because I was kind of in the same camp. When Scott first played it in the backyard, I did not get a visceral reaction. What I was, was excited that we got something that I could tell, having been there, did not seem like interference, did not seem like any kind of, uh, you know, radio waves bouncing off of a file cabinet or anything that was picking up that was unusual in the room. Like I said, it, we weren't inside a Best Buy it's an old house with nothing in it really running other than lights and the air conditioner all downstairs. We were in a very quiet upstairs room. And my first impression was like, there shouldn't be anything on this recorder. And again, yes, we can't hear the interference that it picked up. If it were to be that I didn't pick up anything else on my video camera, other than it shuts itself off five times. And I didn't get anything on the zoom recorder or the EMF meter. So nothing else reacted. And therefore, when I heard it, you know, again, it didn't really affect me other than I got excited. Like, man, this is something. This should not be here. This is something. And then the other thing I felt was, again, seeing my friends being affected with discomfort, fear, negativity, like they're being assaulted somehow, or just getting that sense, was defiance. It's like, you don't do that to my friends. And I'm going to go up there again. And if there's something that needs to talk to us, that has something to say, then say it. You know, that was my feeling. So I believed it because I was there. I experienced it, but it did not affect me in any physical way or emotionally. But I believed it's something real and genuine that ended up on that recorder. I would say I was kind of in the middle here from people who say like, well, I don't, I heard it and I got zip, but I, be I believe you did between that and people who did feel a physical reaction just from hearing it on the show. Well, and the other thing that's interesting, you know, I started out with the people who were sort of skeptical there were other people that started out skeptical and had different reactions. Carol says, uh, normally I don't buy this stuff. That EVP did it for me. Totally freaked me out. The skeptic in me is pointing out the million and one things it could have been. The rest of me had literal goosebumps. We had other people who said, uh, Samantha says, I've never gotten goose flesh like this from any of the astonishing shows. That was evil in all caps. Tara says, WTF, that EVP brought my heart through my throat. Wow, that sounded so angry and or anguished. I agree it sounds like something is being spoken, but maybe it's just screaming. I guess my overall point is there's several hundred people who felt moved enough by it one way or the other to write in and say, wow, you know, I, I, had, yeah. I had goosebumps, goose flesh. I had 
my eyes welled up. I got a headache. There was one couple that wrote in that they were debating whether or not to even play the EVP. They were in their car and they were about to press play and the car got rear-ended. So (laughs) it's just, I'm not making a connection there. I'm just saying Uh, a lot of things are happening. So, and I'm glad they weren't hurt because their little baby was in the backseat. But my point is, if this is just a malfunction, it it certainly has a visceral experience for people. And, And I've thought about this, that experience... Maybe that's just, you know, we, I think we've talked about in the past on the show, the God helmet that the scientists made and it connects into your brain. I, of course, I can't remember what it looks like. I always think of that crazy <laughs> thing that Doc Brown wore in uh, Back to the Future. It's going to look like a colander yeah. uh, <laughs> with a bunch of wires sticking, <laughs> like rods and wires coming out of it. That's yeah. But I guess when they turn it on or do whatever they do with yeah. it, it, it gives you the same simulation of a near-death experience. Well, they can white stimulate. Light. No, a lot of these things can be triggered up to a point. The experience can be triggered up yeah. to a point, but it doesn't explain everything. But a lot of people say like, well, that's what just people do. You get the same scenario where where people will say like, well, there you go. All afterlife, near death experience and all that, that can just be triggered. It's like, well, no, that explains a few of those cases, but not all of them. Right. But they want to blanket everything uh, with that one explanation and then move on. Is the recorder triggering these feelings because it's producing these sounds internally and this has nothing to do with the spirit world? (laughs) Is the recorder triggering this stuff through its malfunctions? It's giving people anxiety. It's giving them goosebumps. It's giving them these visceral feelings of fear. Some people are turning it off. Some people had nausea, all that kind of stuff. So what we're talking about is like you've got scientists in a lab who are working really hard to make a helmet that makes you have a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we've got this crappy recorder that Panasonic made for $30 in the 90s, and it's giving people anxiety attacks, myself included. Right. Maybe it would be the nature of that sound akin to infrasound in a way, but infrasound works on very low frequencies, hence the infra part of that before the word sound, because it's operating on a vibrational level. This is like, it's screeching, it's annoying, it's kind of scary sounding, but is that enough to trigger these emotional and physiological responses? I don't know. You'd have to ask a neurologist or somebody who can study this, and then we get back to that point where no one's really going to study that. People have studied infrasound because, again, that's pretty grounded, but it does produce effects where... People do feel, not to this point though, I mean, people do feel anxious, nervous, like they want to get out of that area. They have feelings of dread for a small percentage of people that experience infrasound in that way. To me, again, that explanation doesn't mean that they freaked out and cut their way out of a tent in the middle of winter in Russia and froze to death because it was such a great effect. I don't buy that for that explanation. And for this one, It seems like there's something else going on with this sound, like the sound itself. Like, sure, we've heard scary sounds and in context when you're home alone and uh, maybe it sounds like there's footsteps coming up the stairs. That actually happened when I was over at a neighbor's who was babysitting me and it sounded like there were footsteps coming up the stairs. The mom taking care of us was, you could say, freaked out, got his kids out of the house, did all the proper things, called the sheriff turned out to be the wind hitting a yellow jacket trap against the house rhythmically. And it sounded like, to all us, sounded like footsteps coming up the stairs. Sure, sure. So that's a different thing where, yeah, she's scared. She reacted properly. It's like, okay, get the kids safe, get them out of here. And that was scary. And then you had a reasonable explanation. But it wasn't like this where you feel nauseous, like people are describing, tears coming to their eyes. I don't want to invalidate the people that didn't experience anything, but I do want to say based on the samples that is 
made up of people that contacted us, yeah. which of course you contact more. It's just like a bad review at a restaurant. More people write the bad reviews. Nobody sure, says it sure. was good. But still, in our sample set, the, the information that we got, more people were affected than not by a mar <laughs> wide margin. Yeah, I will say overall, just one, we've had more people comment on this series and these episodes than any other show we've done. Ten emails have come in while we've been doing this last recording session yeah. tonight. Yeah, most people have something to say about this, and most of it's good and supportive. There's a few that are negative and a few that are insulting, but uh, that alone sparks comments. So to your point, it's like people feel compelled to say something about this because it has affected them in such a way. Some very deeply, some just kind of disturbed, some just unease and then some not at all and it's the whole spectrum kind of like what we were just talking about in this episode about analytical reactions from technicians it's kind of a little bit all over the map it's not all one thing we've we haven't had four experts say it's all rf interference or it's all malfunctioning transistors or it's all this or that they within their areas have given different explanations as far as they can go and uh, that seems to be the case with this piece of audio overall. All right. So before we wrap this up, I want to talk about our own personal theories, one in particular that you came up with that I'm intrigued with and I happen to agree with. And I think it, it aligns with something that I've been thinking as we've been exploring this. And that was what we referred to earlier as the zip file. Can, can you explain <laughs> that to the listeners? Yes, that's totally made up. Actually, what it was is that... Uh, that was you a couple of days ago describing this feeling, hearing it again, and having your eyes well up like you were cutting onions with just that lack of emotion uh, that suddenly your eyes started tearing up. Same thing happened with Tess, except I think it was just that feeling of dread coming on spontaneously by hearing it and unease. And 33 other people whose eyes welled up without much other reaction, just something about that sound causing a physiological reaction. That's pretty interesting to me. And it's like, why would that happen? It's like some of the descriptions we've had already. It's like, well, it's creepy. It's a creepy sound, but it didn't make me feel anything. It's weird. And maybe you shouldn't have gotten it by natural means or organically on that recorder. So that's weird, but it didn't really scare me. But I, I feel scared for you. There's that reaction to it. What I started thinking about was that it is a bit of cryptic audio that is, in one way, got metadata in it. If you've ever heard the theory recently that JPEG images, if you've ever looked at your web browser and it couldn't decipher an image, it's just like all cap letters and... Uh, it's code, just, yeah. It's just code. It's, it's a stream of letters and numbers. But a computer can put that together and make an image. Well, that's not the photons in there. That's just digital representation that your computer can put that together and, and make an image. But within that code that you see, you can embed a message that you won't see in the photo itself. You can only see that if it's been decoded and you're actually looking at a the digital watermark. Exactly. So that's something that is hidden within that photo within plain sight that you don't normally see because normally our web browsers translate the photos correctly and you don't notice anything. It's not like you see a file sticking up in the middle of your photo. Right. And so, yeah, spies have done that and terrorists trying to hide messages within photos because, again, it's not, if you're not looking for that, you don't see it. So within this sound, it's kind of like once you click on it, once you hear it and experience it, it is the zip file thing where you click on it, you don't know what's in there. You just see that little icon of the zipper. You double-click, and boom, five files pop out. 
that were embedded within one thing that you had no idea was in there until you clicked it. So with hearing this audio file, it's like there's something in there that's triggering these responses for different people and all differently depending on who you are and what your sensibilities are. And the reason I like this theory is because as many times as I have now listened to file 10, I can say that I hear something different every time. And it's just as complex as, you know, people will say that about listening to the White Album or listening right. to really great music. You start to hear new things when you listen over and over, especially on different types of stereo systems and different types of speakers, which is something we alluded to earlier. And I can say that in listening to File 10, I have heard what I thought I could make out as words coming from multiple different voices. And yeah. sometimes I listen to it and I only hear the one voice, and other times I listen to it and I hear the other. It's like those pictures you stare at, the computer pictures, and you relax it's your the, focus, the, and then you see the 3D image. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, the, it The happens. magic eye poster. Yeah. The magic eye. That happens with this file. And then I feel like a lot of these people that are writing in or who, or who wrote in, whether they heard something or didn't hear anything, we're all listening to different parts of it. You're listening to what yeah. works for you. And in a way, that's the crazy thing about it. It gets back to that whole debate about how do we know that blue looks the same to us? There's no way to actually know that what you see as blue and what I see as blue are the same. We can all say, oh, well, that particular color, whenever I see it, I call it blue. Yeah. But to me, your blue may be green and my green may be blue. Yeah, it's it, that perception has changed. There's a really interesting uh, radio lab about that. And here's the point about that sound changing for us, depending on how many times we listen to it and through what devices, what pairs of earphones or earbuds or headphones or what you know computer we're playing it off of what type of file it seems to change and i'll still hear it in there so what i'm wondering is that i'm not i'm not saying that this thing is a living breathing organism this mass of digits now but it does seem to change depending on how you receive it at that moment because what i will say perhaps it's affecting that part of the brain that is transcoding the sound because as we said earlier getting called back to the Yanni and Laurel thing. What's funny, when that came out, I played that clip and I was able to hear it both ways. I, I can't was, remember which way, but I remember that I distinctly could not hear the other one. Yeah. To me, it kind of I kind of let myself relax and it was like the Magic Eye poster. Yeah. And after a few listens, I could hear both versions. And I guess that's not typical with everybody. So the idea, though, is that, okay, that's how your brain is interpreting this. So when people hear this, is it triggering something that's just explainable? It's not supernatural. There's something weird about that sound and the frequencies it hits and doesn't and sounds like speech but isn't. It is what it is and it is what is not that is freaky to the human sensory perception. Now, it may not be supernatural, but that alone to me is freaky. Yeah, and I guess the last thing that I want to say is file 10 and file 9 and the stuff that we got on those two files, it's definitely unintelligible. Unintelligible screaming, you know, whatever. We can't figure out what it is. And it makes people feel weird, some people. Mm -hmm. Other people don't feel weird, but they admit that it's strange. Yeah. Other people say it's not weird or strange. The, you know, there's people that are running across, but the majority, right. in terms of who's reached out to us in social media, agree that it's strange, agree that it's weird, yeah. and, and there's a large percentage of those that were freaked out by it. Right. That's not the only kind of recording that DR60s get, and it's also not the only kind of recording that's been heard at the Sally House, for the record. And we just want to make that clear. 
there's all different types of EVPs, and we've heard them. We've heard them in the course of this investigation, but we can't go on. I mean, we can go on forever, but we can't go <laughs> on and on. We could do multiple shows on this because we have got evidence from the Sally House, from multiple sources, all right. kinds of people of super clear EVPs. We've got one where you can clearly hear a voice say, swallow your soul. Yeah, and I, I'm telling you, it's there. Oh, but it's it not, sounds, I, to me, it wasn't even whispering. No, it's, and it's, it's like, actually, swallow it's, your soul. And yeah, it's, it's quiet. But at that point, you're back, oh, I'm back in the skeptic truck. I'm like, yeah. well, it just sounds like a normal person. But all the people that were there will say, we didn't say that. Yeah, that nobody, person wasn't there. Or, right. well, that sounds like, you know, Julie's voice, but Julie didn't say it. Right. And then Julie comes out and says, I never said that. Why would I say swallow your soul? And then it's on the recording. And also that won't be the only recorder going. They, of course, will have several going and it doesn't show up on other recorders. Why just that one? Right. And that's not always the DR60, by the way, either. No, no, no. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's some other. There's a whole list of digital recorders, more modern ones, too, that all will get EVPs. The DR60 is famous for getting them way more of the time, but there's a lot that will get them. Yeah, it's got that gravelly property, and it's just, you know, it's a fluke with that particular thing, and it just works well. As you heard Josh say, and uh, Steve Huff will, will say in his videos, you can get them with other, you know, high-end digital recorders, but it'll be low, and it won't be as frequent because it probably takes more energy to work those from the spirit side that it does the DR60. It's just easier. It's an easier thing to work for them. That would be the explanation. But, you know, to your point about that, there's all different kinds of sounds that can be recorded, like you said. And some are clear and they sound too real. And then we're back to it, the photo is too blurry or the photo is too good. It's like, what do you want it to be? And in this case, it's with that recorder, like you said, it picks stuff up, but sometimes it sounds pretty angry. And that was my first feeling about it was that this is angry. Right. But it does, it doesn't always do that. And no. what a lot of skeptics had said to us and a lot of folks have said, well, I want to hear this in 30 other rooms. I want to hear it here, there and everywhere. And granted, we haven't done that yet, but here's something we did do. I want to talk a little bit about file one here. And for whatever reason, I don't know why Forrest had, had come over. I think we were working and it was probably a Friday night and we actually had maybe a dark week coming up. And we decided that we were going to stay up and have a few drinks and check out yeah. the DR60. We watched a movie, I think, yeah. and then that relaxed and just kind of let off steam. We don't ever get a chance to kind of do that together. Yes. Uh, we just want to leave and never see each other for a week. <laughs> but we had a chance to like kind of relax, have a drink, and then Scott had this amazing thing, which he just got. Yeah, I was like, we got to check this out. Let's get some recordings. This is a DR60, man. These things are legendary. So yeah. we brought it out into the living room. And it was kind of late at night, and I started this recording, and here's what's happening is my, my son was asleep, and he sleeps with the door open down the hall. So it was being kind of quiet. We had been talking kind of quietly so we wouldn't wake him up, and I thought, well, let's give this thing a shot. Now, I live in a house in Valley Village, California. It's a little bungalow-type house that was built in 1933. And it's had a lot of residents, but the longest resident in it was the one who lived in it who built it. She lived in it till she was like 90 and then went into a home and lived to be a hundred or so. And then after that, it changed hands like 50 billion times because in LA, everybody's constantly investing in flipping. <laughs> so yeah. there's yeah. a lot of people on it. So, but I thought, oh, maybe we'll get something interesting. I, I don't know. I don't know how this works. So we got the recorder and I made this recording that I'm going to call file one. This is on the exact same DR60. This is the Astonishing Legends DR60 that we took to Atchison, Kansas, and recorded in the Sally House with. For those folks that think maybe all it does is get Angry Man on it, <laughs> this is another recording that we got on it. Yeah. 
the levels were so low on this that I, Sarah is going to murder me when I tell her we need to bring this up. It's <laughs> right. so low that I tried to run it through a compression program I have that's really simple, and it said there was nothing there. Right, so right. hopefully she can bring it up. But when you do hear this cranked up, what you're going to hear is me, you know, enforced, I think it's probably sitting right across from me, me quietly almost uh, slurring a little bit and saying, if you're, is there a ghost? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then I ask this question. I say, uh, who are you? If you're here, who are you? In my own house. Very first thing we recorded on the DR60. This is my living room that I'm about to walk back into my house and go to bed here after Forrest <laughs> and I quit recording here on the yeah. Friday, November 9th. It's almost 11 p.m. This is in my house. This is where I recorded this. And you'll hear the preamble, and then you'll hear me say, who are you? And then you're going to hear a voice whisper. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, but I think it's pretty obvious. You'll hear a voice whisper, I can't tell. Now, if that's not a frightening answer to who are you, I don't know what is. But on top of that, we did not hear it in playback of this file until months later when we sent it off to one of our friends who's a medium. And she said, I thought I heard, she thought she heard I don't know at the end of it. But she didn't have the ability to turn it up as loud as we do. We actually turn it up and listen to it about 20 times just a few minutes ago. And Forrest and I, our consensus is, is that it's I can't tell. All right, so we're going to go out on this EVP that we gathered in my house, the very first recording we made on our DR-60 long before we took it to Kansas, and we'll see you back next week. Man, it's caught, and I'm here now, and I have a special recorder that's going to allow you to speak to me. I'm just here to say, if anyone's here and wants to say anything, go ahead and say it. I'm relieved. I'm only looking for communication and nothing more. I have an open mind. I have anything to say. Say it to me. I'm starting off by telling me who you are. Tell me your name and who you are. That's going to wrap up tonight's episode of Astonishing Legends. We hope you'll join us next week for part four, where this story continues to get stranger with some of the things that have happened to us since we got back to Los Angeles, including what may have been a message from whatever is at the Sally House that came through during an active Skype group call. Please remember to support our sponsors. They keep the show free and the lights on in Blanket Fortiana. Special thanks to John Bolin. Hi, I'm Alex Chauvin, C-L-A-R-E, galaxy-wide in perpetuity. Perpetuity. Perpetuity? Uh. C-U. Bye! Our show is edited by Sarah Wendell, and our theme, which is available as a ringtone, is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our listeners. Visit our store at astonishinglegends.com or interact with us and other listeners on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us at patreon.com astonishinglegends if you'd like to support the show in that way. Copyright Astonishing Legends Productions. Good night. Good night.